evening and a welcome to El Oso Fumar Takes. This is our 184th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Euless, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplessis, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a hot one, mostly because it's 94 degrees in my garage still, and it is like middle of September. But the hotness continues because we've got a fantastic original take for you tonight. This is our a first time guest, someone I'm super excited to talk about and talk to and bring you to as well. And uh, But before we get to him, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is our sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate has announced the launch of the Deadwood Leather Rose Petite Corona. The Leather Rose, the boldest of the four bewitching Deadwood sisters, is showing off a new side of her sultry personality. With Drew Estate's launch of the Deadwood Leather Rose Petite Corona, it's a 4x43. The latest tale in the Deadwood saga, Leather Rose Petite Corona, was revealed during Drew Estate's Freestyle Live this past September 16th and will be available for nationwide beginning in October. So get excited for the latest Deadwood release, the Deadwood Leather Rose Petite Corona, and check out your Drew Diplomat retailer uh, in October, and they will be available. And welcome, everyone. This is our 184th take. It is, uh, it's my pleasure to welcome in our guest this evening, sponsored by United Cigars, Smoke One Today, and Start Living United. Mr. Dave Garofalo of Two Guys Smoke Shop, Cigar Authority, author, entrepreneur, and man about town. Sir, how are you doing? Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. I usually start this by saying it's my pleasure uh, to do this, but I'm, I'm going to get really honest with you today. Uh, I'm going to oh. go with uh, your welcome. It's 1030 at night after a long week, so I'm going to go with your welcome. But no, it is, it is my, uh, <laughs> it's my honor to be here. Well, the, 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 the pleasure certainly is mine. And, and thank you. Thank you again, Dave. This is, uh, I know it is late for you. I know I, 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 uh, I learned afterwards that the party, I had saw that the party, I, I confused the dates. I thought the party was coming in November. And when you agreed to do this date, I, I, I then saw when the party, I was like, oh my gosh, did he get confused? And when you can you continue to confirm and I was like, oh my goodness, like, man, this, oh, I, and it didn't end. It started, <laughs> you know, it started probably two days before the party started and didn't end until uh, I went to bed last night. Everybody was off back on the plane and everything on Saturday night. And uh, I, I got up uh, a little later this morning. I'm like, OK, let me get my clock going here. And here it is uh, Sunday night uh, past my bedtime. But uh, great opportunity to be here. 184 episodes. Congratulations to you. Uh, and that, you know, the amazing thing, what you do different than me is you do it by yourself. Not only is there no co-host, which I can't imagine two times in my 600 episode is coming up soon twice that I had to do it without a co-host. Somebody couldn't show up or whatever happened and the show must go on. But at least I have a producer that's handling the buttons. You are the producer, you are the co-host <laughs> and you are the host. So, uh, I am not worthy. Very, very good. Very good. I, I, I heard um, you'd given me that compliment before, Dave, last time I had the opportunity to interview you. And I, I was um, I never really I honestly never really thought about it. I was like, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to do this show. I want to host it myself. And I never even really thought about uh, like a producer or anything like that. But uh, after 184 takes, well, not 184. Yeah. After 183, it's getting to that point where I'm like, you know what? A, a producer would be kind of a nice luxury to have for sure. But you I'll did say. it right from the beginning. I mean, that's the way you kind of launched uh, 
the cigar authority. I mean, you had, I mean, you could, did, the studio was live too, right? Like everything you had, everything was done, right? Live from day one. Uh, we started off uh, with a folding table doing it on the sales floor of bothering the, the people at work. You know, at the beginning, I thought it was good for them. And they, people walk in and, into a store while the show's going on live. And after a while, they're rolling their eyes at the boss. And I'm like, what's the problem? Tell me. And they go, can you just go in the corner or get away from the sales floor? We're trying to do business. And then I'm like, okay, let's let's build a set and uh, get out of their way, basically. So that's what happened there. Yeah, I, um, I've, I've thought about, uh, I've thought about like, taking my show live and that's certainly a next step kind of four us to go i mean 184 episodes in i still have never done a remote you know at some point uh well that's not true actually our first four episodes were, were remote i did have a producer so actually actually i did kind of start off the same thing uh, coop uh will cooper was my producer for my first four takes wow. Arizona pretty <laughs> pr- pretty damn good pretty, yeah pretty damn good. that's a way to start yeah uh, but you, you know you you work in retail can you imagine you know, somebody set up on the sales floor while you're trying to do business. And uh, I didn't give consideration to that. I, I thought I was doing doing good, but I was doing more harm than good. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, Mike would appreciate it too much uh, if, I, if, if I was doing it in the middle of the sales mm. floor. But he's he's been open to having me on there. I, yeah. You know, it's 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 just kind of uh, logistics kind of just haven't worked out. He's but he's been open to have me on the show. And um, a few takes ago, um, I had Tracy Spence, I think who I believe you're acquainted with the, he was our general, he's a general manager was, uh, sure. was my guest for the father's day episode. And he actually was there at Michael's when he was setting up. So we've gotten Michael's involved, but it was after hours. And so no, re- no, uh, customers were walking around. So there we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, uh, two good guys, uh, general manager and the owner of Michael's, uh, good man. I served with him on the board of directors. Of um, I believe that was IPCPR or maybe even RTPA uh, before that. Uh, it was IPCPR. Yeah. Okay. It was, uh, yeah. It was it uh, was a little further back, but not uh, not not too far back. But uh, um, and we'll we'll be getting to your service on the board too. There's a couple of things I, I'm really excited of hitting hitting with you um, in this uh, in the course of our conversation today, Dave. But again, mostly just thank you for for joining me. Uh, I do have one more small favorite ask. I know that sounds like a big ask, uh, considering what you're doing for me already. But I have got four cigars here, and uh, I'd love to bring over a tradition uh, that I have on Cigar Coop Primetime Special Edition and uh, have you pick my cigar for me. So uh, uh, I have a, I have two firecrackers here. Oh my! One, one of the, uh, the the new rebranded, the OG. Yep. Uh, I have a Perdomo firecracker as well. Uh, this is from last year. Um, really enjoyed the cigar. I smoked it with you last time I had the internet pop, uh, the uh, opportunity. Let me, let me ask you that. On, on the Perdomo, is mm-hmm. the wick tucked in the band or out of the band? The wick is tucked under the band. Under the band. Those, that's the original first release. Yes, sir. That's the original first release. we had twice release. there. Yep. Okay. And, and then I have a, a Byron a Reserva Tres Años. Oh, Wow. And then I have, a, and I can never remember. This is the Busto size, I know, because it's a five by fifty. But I can't remember what it's called. The Atabay. Um, I can't remember the Vitola size, though. My apologies. Well, my favorite cigar of everything that's there, 
it doesn't matter if it's there or not. My favorite cigar of everything is Atabe, but I tend to go on the lighter side um, myself. But Atabe uh, is my favorite cigar in the whole world. And I, I have a lot of friends in the cigar business, and a lot of them don't like hearing me say that. But then I usually say, okay, let's have a cigar together. And they smoke the cigar and they go, wow. And I said, I know it's, it's really special. Uh, but everything you have there is special. But uh, if, if you laid them out to me and said, uh, pick anyone you want, I, I would go to Atabay on that one. All right. Well, I'm going to light up the Atabay then. So well, sounds great to me. Um, so what, what, did, what, are you, what are you smoking right now? I'm smoking a Garofalo. Uh, I was honored that um, Nick Perdomo made this for me 11 years ago. Uh, I didn't ask for it. He showed up in my office on my 50th birthday. You do the math. And um, uh, I said, oh, my God, you made a box of cigars uh, with my name on it. And he said, no, I made a brand uh, called Garofalo. And it has three different wrappers and four different sizes. There's 12 Vitolas. And um, here you go. And um, you should carry these. And I said, well, of course. I hope I like them. And um, <laughs> I'm smoking the Connecticut version of it, which is the, my go-to one. It and to be honest with you, when it when it um, the Sun Grown is fine, the Maduro one is too full-bodied for me. Uh, I'll smoke it, but um, it, it's too heavy for me when it comes to Garofalo and Maduro. A second version of this, so this is the um, Garofalo family. Um, what does he call it? Um, Garofalo family. No, La Familia is the next one that's coming out. Um, how, how terrible is that? Family, not family reserve. Family legacy is, is the first one that he did. And the next one coming out is Garofalo La Familia. And it's bigger ring gauges because it, this is 50 ring gauges across the board. Um, Robusto, Toro, Torpedo, and uh, Churchill, which is the one I'm smoking. And he said, you know, uh, we can do a lot more if we, we go to a 52-54 ring gauge and we can really complex that blend up. And that was three years ago. Uh, and I was hoping to get it maybe uh, maybe at least a year ago. And COVID slowed everything down. And uh, have them and smoke them on Thanksgiving Day. I said, okay. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to be good. You know, I sampled the samples uh, early on, but that was three years ago. And frankly, uh, I, I don't remember it all that much. I smoked through them three years ago and they were, they were good enough to actually approve. But who am I talking to? Nick Perdomo, right? It, it's going to be good anyway. Who am I to tell him, uh, oh, you, you need to tweak this. You need to tweak that. I, I didn't say anything. I said, okay, thank you. Yeah, he actually, you know, you know, he's known for a little bit more of the bigger ring gauges. You know, it's not like, I mean, he just released the Immenso earlier this year. I mean, so, but like uh, 54 uh, seems to be his jam a little bit. So, so he's got the 50 going for you uh, with the Garofalo. You know, that's the only, I think that's the only cigar in your portfolio, Dave, that I haven't had the opportunity to try. But uh, with, like you said, with Perdomo making it for you, I mean, it, I know it's going to be solid. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he kills it. And, you know, he said in order to get more complex with the blend, he said, I got to go bigger, bigger on the ring gauge. And, you know, I don't even know if he makes a 50 ring gauge for his regular line. Or went to 52 or 54 to uh, get... Uh, higher primings or whatever whatever he's thinking about 
with that. He's got a new farm that uh, he's getting actually tobacco out of that new farm, uh, which he, he uh, that tobacco was three years that it's been sitting there. And he said, okay, you're going to get uh, some of that first tobacco that comes into that farm. Uh, he's coming out with a, with a 30 year anniversary cigar that he's using the tobacco on there. So uh, it's got to be really good for him to, to end up doing that with his 30 years. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, uh, to see how it comes out. I did look at the packaging and again, nothing except for, I, I give it the, the thumbs up when he shows me his, the packaging. And I don't, I don't know if you know, Arthur Kemper, that's his vice president. Um, Arthur is, is like a um, genius when it comes to these packaging and color things that he does. And wait, wait till you see it. I mean, it's really, really beautiful. And I'm excited uh, when it comes in, when it comes in for, uh, Uh, no, I, I'm, I have had the pleasure of meeting Arthur earlier this year for the very first time. Of course, known of him for years now, but uh, no, I, I, I agree. I think the, the packaging he does, especially, you know, I mean, always, but, you know, I love what they've done recently, like with the, uh, the, new, uh, the new anniversaries, um, 10th anniversaries, the Sun Grown and Maduro with that red and the blue. It just yeah. really, really just pops and everything. But, um, you know, but. Speaking of anniversaries, though, uh, what a perfect segue that is. Congratulations on your 36th year in the business. Uh, celebrated your anniversary uh, just uh, in the last couple of days with your uh, your typically an uh, annual anniversary party. Um, I know last year threw a wrench into everything, but uh, but uh, this was uh, the 35th uh, celebration of, of of a year in the business for you. How did uh, how did that go? It went fabulous. It's just amazing to me, uh, the turnout that we have. You know, we put the tickets on sale the first Saturday of May each year. People say, when can I get tickets? I said the first Saturday in May, not the Sunday, the Saturday, because we sell out uh, four to 500 tickets, depending on uh, the venue, uh, what we're able to do at that time. This year was 420 tickets that were sold. And uh, it happens in hours, not days. And uh, to my amazement, I've been seeing it happen um, uh, over the years, a little on the airplane to come out instead of, you know, we have a lot of customers locally. We have three, three cigar shops, but there was a lot, a lot of people, 25%. I had them raise their hand, uh, as they were talking to me when they were coming in and saying, I came from Colorado. I came from Ohio. I came from here. I came from there. I said, uh, Hey, everybody who got on a plane the last two days, uh, to get here, please raise your hand. And about 25% of the uh, audience raised their hand, which was also humbling to me that, uh, you know, can, can I imagine that morning that people got up early in the places and came there to celebrate my anniversary uh, is, is beyond uh, what I would ever think uh, somebody would do. And, uh, you know, I was really choked up that, that this is what's happening. I don't know if some of it's the crossover of the podcast where, um, you know, I'm known there. Um, you know, I wouldn't think it would be an online customer that would uh, fly all the way up celebrating that. You know, the idea was for me to say thank you to my customers. That was the whole reason for the anniversary parties, which I started um, as my eighth anniversary was the first time I did it. Remember, I started in 1985. Bear, I'm not going to ask you, but I started selling cigars in 1985. You were either 
just born or you were a little baby, I have to imagine, uh, back then. Yeah, I was, I was, I was a couple years old. So, (laughs) and I say it to some of my employees and stuff. And, you know, I I say, Oh, what, 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 uh, what's your birthday? And they'll say whatever they said, Oh, I remember that day. I said, you know what I was doing that day? And they said, what? And I said, I was selling cigars at two guys smoke shop. The same thing I'm doing today. (laughs) It's groundhog day every day for me. It's the same. It's the same exact thing. So, uh, but really, uh, for, for pe- people to turn out for that, uh, as I say, I try to do it as a thank you to them. Um, the manufacturers also, that the, the who's who of the cigar industry, they're, they're invited to come and um, they turn out. I mean, the, the big names. And, and when I introduce them, it's Rocky Patel from Rocky Patel Cigars. It's Nick Perdomo from Nick Perdomo Cigars. It's now. Ne- cigar and uh typically they don't like these multi-vendor events but they actually love this event because it's really something different and i can't even explain it to you because i I do that to people and they they come for the first time and they say oh my god and i said well i explained it and they said you don't explain it well it's it's almost unexplainable it is a it is a real event it is um non-stop action from end to end it's almost a game show uh is what ends up happening and from start to finish uh it, it's really a circus basically more than anything else but that's what i believe uh anyway that's part of my dna is to make an experience um whether it be coming into the store and shopping with us or when we have an event an event should be an event and uh, certainly is when it comes to that. And I think it's all good for the cigar industry. Lots of other retailers show up. Uh, I've invited retailers to come and see, examine it, use it, understand what goes on, because I am so pro brick and mortar retailer. Uh, that That is my whole thing. You know, as I say, we do do online sales. Uh, I think we we're actually the second uh, com- cigar company to ever have a website. But to be honest with you, I've never taken a call um, from a, um, somebody ordering from elsewhere. Uh, I don't even know how the, um, website works. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I like (laughs) talking to the person face-to-face old school, um, sales. And, uh, that's my thing, but it's, it's unfortunately part of what we have to do now, especially now that the COVID thing happened. Well, you know, I think the, I mean, I mean, def, speaking of, I mean, and speaking of old school, I mean, you, you, you do definitely treat this for like an event. I saw, so do you wear a tux every year or was this like, uh, usually, no, usually I do. That's uh, it was really awesome. So, okay. So i got to ask the question. Is that, is that, is that Dave's tux or do you, did, do you do, do you do a rental? No, it's my tux. I, I have a, I have maybe You're two like, I wear it three. every year. Might as well get, Oh, you have three. Oh my goodness. Okay. So. That's so awesome. Depending on how fat I am at that time will be the <laughs> determination of, of which one will go on. And uh, sometimes the bow tie gets on there and sometimes that doesn't even fit. I've been, I've been through it all. I know. I love, I love the look. I'm, I'm a big, um, I know I wear a ball cap all the time and people, people think I'm a little, I, I'm kind of casual, but I mean, 
Um, I got fitted for my sister's wedding today for a tuxedo and I, I can't wait ah. to put it on. So it'll be, uh, it'll be fun. Yeah. But, uh, so, I mean, w- we're going to get to, we're actually, we're going to jump right into this because I want to talk about events right now. So, but, so going into this, we're going to turn to tonight's major point and uh, our power, our, uh, our major point is always brought to you by a protocol cigars, power of the P tonight's major point is brought to you by the people. By the people, cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol Cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Bass Reeves, Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has always been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol Cigars. So, so Dave, I've, I've heard you say this on a number of times on your own show, on shows where you've been interviewed as well. You know, you, you take the cigar event rather, rather seriously. And that's not to say that other people don't. Um, but in your mind, they, I guess they're mischaracterizing what a, what a cigar event really is. So it, it, like when you were first starting, I mean, because you said you've been doing this since the eighth anniversary and everything. Why haven't so many people caught on? What 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 is missing from the cigar event in today's cigar uh, industry landscape? Well, it's a lot of work, and it, it takes preparation to to end up doing it and execution, and um, it's not easy. We start planning our anniversary. We'll start talking about what went right what went wrong a lot of times nobody sees what goes wrong it's in the background or whatever and what can we do to make it better because the audience to be honest with you they say it to me as they're leaving and said i don't know what you're going to do next week how are you going to beat this because the plan always is to next year's to be better than this year's is and we did a pretty damn good job at it i say we because this isn't me this is me along with my whole team. Everybody that works at Two Guys, it's mandatory. Everybody goes to work that day and is part of the anniversary party because I need all hands on deck and everybody has their part that they're doing. And I just assume uh, as the MC of the night, I'm assuming all these things are going good. That's when I'm going to bring everybody in and we're going to end up talking. And, you know, there was a problem with check-in. There was a problem with who knows what it is. I don't know what that is yet. To me on stage, everything looked right, but, uh, and saying to the uh, manufacturers and to the consumers as they're leaving, how was everything? You had a good time. And everybody says, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. Which is, which is very nice that they say that, but I need the, I need the truth or I need uh, constructive criticism to be able to be able to improve it, to see what that was. Um, and, you know, I, I was that retailer too. You know, I didn't start, I have 20 employees right now. Um, you know, I, it was two guys smoke shop because there were two guys and that was it. So, uh, I, you know, and there was one point we had, when we had three stores, there was still, still two people. And then we got uh, my brother's wife to come quit her job. And it was my brother's wife. So one of us was at each store uh, and, we, you know, then as sales got better and things were improved, we were able to get more employees and things like that, but it wasn't easy. Um, and I know it looks that way to other people and other people come to me and say, I think I'm going to open up a cigar shop. And my first statement always is to them, what can I do to change your mind? Because, 
you know, it probably looks easy to you and it's not easy. It wasn't easy. It was very, very hard. It's easier now that I have 20 people that help me. So yes, it's easier for me now, but starting out, boy, what a grind. It was a lot of work and also doing the first anniversary party. Oh my God, that was tough. But the second one got easy. The third one got easier. And then, then it goes there. That goes for all events that we do in the store. And we do a lot of events. So, you know, I always wanted to help brick and mortar retailers because I, I am honestly worried about brick and mortar cigar retailers. And I have been for probably about 15 years or so when some may manufacturers started going direct to the end user. Um, you know, we see that in not just the cigar industry, we see that in all kinds of industries. A brand, every cigar brand, I can't think of one that wasn't, was built in brick and mortar retail stores. And then the online guy wants it after it's already built. So all the hard work is done at the brick and mortar level at that point. And then it's about price. And the unfortunate thing is it's not a level playing field. This states with enormous taxes, like New York, it's 75% tax. And I spoke in New York two weeks ago at their golf tournament. They invited me to come up and, and speak to their uh, retailers and to the consumers that were there about the taxation that's happening and what they can do about it. Um, you know, some people look at New Hampshire and say, oh, New Hampshire is very lucky. We have no, no tobacco tax in New Hampshire. Um, we're not very lucky. We worked very hard for that not to happen. And uh, that I want to pass on with them, too, is you have to be proactive, even when everything is good. When Oh, my God, I, I don't say it's impossible to turn it around, but it's a lot tougher to turn it around than fighting before it happened. And then, you know, at least calming that down to maybe a 50 cent cap or something like that. Uh, this is part of my thing, you know, beer, I, I'm very blessed. I got very, um, um, not lucky, but timing was very good for me in the cigar industry. I got in, in 85, 85, you know, there was maybe a hundred million premium cigars sold in the U S uh, by 1990, the cigar boom started by 1992, 400 million cigars were sold. We grew 400% as an industry. early stages of the cigar industry. So my God, the timing was so beautiful for me to end up doing what I ended up doing. Uh, not the case now for, for new guys that are going up there. And it, it it's better if we all grow and I can help the other guys in the cigar industry and uh, we'll all grow together and it'll be a better industry as opposed to let these online giants um, take over the cigar industry at the end of it, I, I think we'll lose the lounge. I think we'll lose uh, camaraderie and everything that goes along with it. Uh, you know, this, this social social media thing that, um, you know, is a little sad to me that people cannot have a conversation face-to-face. -face. The last place left where that's happening is the barbershop. those places um so uh you know I, I i don't think you can get your hair cut online 
But um, when it comes to cigars, we could get wiped out. We meaning the brick and mortar retailer. And this industry will look very, very different if there's only, um, you know, basically the Walmarts or the Amazons of the cigar industry to the left. Mm-hmm. And the brick and mortar guy can't, can't survive. It's a mom and pop family owned uh, industry. I want to keep it that way. So uh, at this point in my life, um, you know, honestly, the next dollar I earn, I'll never spend. Uh, it's going to somebody else. So uh, I want to put my efforts and energy um, probably for the past 10 years or so I've been doing it. It's been very good to me. And, um, you know, I I would be a consumer, a a big consumer and going to these places if I didn't own the store myself. So I love our industry. Uh, I know you do for doing the things you do and all the people in, in, uh, in in um, the cigar media that do this, um, have a regular job and do this because they love it. Um, I happen to be in the industry, loving it like you guys too. So I think I uh, it's mandatory for me to give back and try to help these people. You know, you, you took us down this path here, Dave. I mean, but that was something I was going to talk to you about. Is this? The, the, I feel like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. You've been around long enough, but I mean, I know that you've 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 helped run it and you help it the engine go and everything. But I would I, I would say that while it's few, it's mighty. That the new the New Hampshire Cigar Retailer Association probably has to be one of the strongest state associations in the country, wouldn't you say? It is. It is. Uh, it should be something that. Uh, the whole industry looks at it. I, I know they do on a national level when it comes to the PCA and things. They look at what's happened, happens there. Um, New Hampshire uh, is the first state and only state still so far that has separated premium cigars from even uh, premium cigars is on an island by itself in the state of New Hampshire. And they said it couldn't be done, and we we got it accomplished. It was done, and now we're trying to do it nationally. Um, something that's used as as basically uh, rolling papers for marijuana. Some of these tobacco products. Uh, that's not what premium cigars is. You know that your listeners know that, and um, we taught the people of New Hampshire, the the government of New Hampshire, the difference of the product. They were simply ignorant. They didn't understand. Their idea of a a premium cigar is when they go to the gas station to go fill up their gas and go in the store and they see those little packs of cigars for 99 cents, uh, great blunts and things like that. That's what they thought it was. So uh, it's a show and tell. And uh, it's always changing because the uh, there's elections every year and people go out, new people come in. So it has to be nonstop that we have to educate these, these people uh, about premium cigars and let them know they're different. I've done it so many times and each time I do it, it's the same answer. And they said, wow, I had no idea. If they're mm-hmm. saying that in New Hampshire, they have no idea. Believe me, they have no idea across the whole country. So this effort has to be done it is time consuming. Um, you know, in New Hampshire, we only have six retailers, six retail uh, retailers that are part of our organization. There's 30 something uh, owners of retail shops, uh, some multi multi stores, but 30 something uh, different owners and only six of them are members of the of our association. And, uh, you know, the answer is that they say, you know, uh, you know, I don't have time to do it. 
I operate three retail stores. I have a mail order company. I have a distribution company, a wholesale company. I own um, property management um, brands. I, I, you know, I, there's a lot of things going on that pop. And I have time for it. They have time for it. I said, put a sign on your door when we have to go to the state house and say, I'm sorry, I had nobody to work today. I had to go to the state house for three hours. I'll be back. I'm sorry. Um, but you're doing this for the consumer. The store owner is doing it for the consumer because, to be honest with you, if we get taxed in New Hampshire, we only pass on the tax to the consumer. The ultimate person that pays is the consumer. Right. So that, that tax, unfortunately, goes there. We're only tax collectors. Yes, it's going to hurt our business by adding the tax, but we're not going to pay the tax. We're going to pass it on to the consumer. So I don't think the consumer would be mad if they saw that you went to the state house because you're fighting legislation uh, so that they don't have a giant tax on there. I said, close it if you have to do it and put the sign on the door that this is what ends up happening. It's usually a Tuesday morning at nine o'clock is the hearings and you'll be back. It's way better. I started in Massachusetts. Yeah. I, I had three stores there and I fought by myself in Massachusetts. I begged the other retailers. I could get nobody to join me. So as much as I say it's bad that we only have six people in New Hampshire, that's five more than we had in Massachusetts. Nobody would join with me. So I fought alone and I lost. In unity, there is strength. So you, you need people to join along with you. And I know some of the retailers are thinking, hey, Garofalo's doing all the work for me. I can just sit back and do it. But Garofalo's getting older and this has to be somebody that has to learn how to do this and, and take over. Uh, God forbid something happens to me. Uh, you know, they got to do it. And, and we do have um, five other people that, that have and, and been, been with me since I, I put the organization together. So, uh, you know, nothing to complain about, but it certainly could be better. That's that's terrific, though. That I mean, I mean that that many that few cigar stores are really putting together that much effort and and continuing it. I mean, it's is you know as tedious and as exhausting as it must be. It, it it's something that you guys continue to do and continue to do well. It should be an example, like you said, for all states. Yes, but. So not, and I'm, I hope I'm not putting you on a spot with this, Dave. But I know that you, I know you're a terrific consumer of all things cigars, cigars, cigar media, etc. Uh, I, I don't know. Did, were you a fan of, or did you read uh, the 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 website known as the Ministry of Cigars? It was run by a man named. I, yes, I have, and I and I spoke to them before, and I heard about that. I was on a um, during COVID. I was on um, one of those Zoom calls with with the bug. They were on there uh, as so we talked with each other during that. And, and I read that story today on that. What a, what a shame. And God bless America. Right. When you hear mm -hmm. things like that, freedom of speech that we're able to have. And he's not allowed to have that over there. Yeah, it was really sad. But I mean, the thing that I took away from it, though, David, I mean, I'm not trying to I, I, you're you're 100 percent right. We, we have a lot of advantages over the situation that he's in. I mean, I was reading some of the stuff that that he, you know, some of the kind of the su suppressed speech that he's under, under these guidelines and everything. Well, not guidelines, laws. I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable to me, but 
you know, but I, I also said, you know, I, you know, I commented, I thanked him for, you know, all of his years of, of doing what he did. Cause I was a fan of his and I thought he did great work, but the, I was like, I also said, let this serve as a lesson to, to, to everyone. Um, because, you know, if we, if we think that this, this couldn't happen to us just because, uh, because that we're in America, I mean, I think, I think we're, I think that's incredibly naive and that's saying something. Cause I'm, been accused of being naive quite a bit in my in my time in the cigar industry so um i I think it's a i think it's an incredible lesson to learn and we should take uh take note of it because the anti-tobacco lobby in this country does not sleep uh they are unwavering in their pursuit of of abolishment of of this pastime that we call that we that we call our love that you call your your way of life and uh, it's it's something that we need to continue to fight each and every day. And uh, we're next. You know, something like this happens. I, I look at it and I say, OK, uh, somebody's looking at this and saying, OK, there'll be a bill filed in the next two weeks that somebody's going to try to actually make the same exact thing happen. And, uh, you know, say what you will about the PCA and Cigar Rights of America. If it wasn't for them, I mean, we have our own lobbyists in New Hampshire and it costs a lot of money. Six retailers that end up paying that. And um, as far as it goes nationally, can you imagine the cost? We're talking millions of dollars every year just on lobbying. Absolutely. So hey. they do. You know, people look at the at the PCA as a trade show. That's not what it is. As a matter of fact, when when you join the PCA, it says, um, and you have free. You get to go to the trade show for free because your membership is not um, your ticket to the trade show. A lot of people use it like that. And I'm not going to the trade show. I won't be a member this year. That's not what it's for. You join the membership to fight legislation and we have a trade show. And if you're a member, you get to go for free because you already paid your membership. Uh, and that's how it works. It's, it's so misunderstood of how I hear um, everybody discuss the PCA trade show. That's not what it is. Uh, unfortunately, a big part of the revenue that comes in is because of the trade show. And I wish they could think of another way to get revenue uh, if, if that's a, um, and I went to the show this year too, and see the declining, um, thing of not just the PCA trade show, but all trade shows, all trade shows are declining. Um, and you have, when you see something like that, that's when you have to stop making, uh, different moves and figure out different ways of income coming in because the lawyers aren't any cheaper. The lawyers are getting more expensive and, um, you know, something has to be figured out that way. Isn't that true, mm-hmm. Dave? Uh, I'm a I'm getting a little frustrated over here with my internet connection. I apologize to my audience and to you, sir. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut my video for a little bit. Hopefully that'll uh, save a little bandwidth. And uh, so I apologize that uh, our our face to face conversation won't be quite face to face for a few moments. But uh, it's okay. Um, but the one thing that I wanted to mention, um, kind of going into this, was you know, is you know, the opportunities, you know, you talked about your annual, your annual uh, event celebrating an anniversary in the business. And we're going to talk about your uh, one of your, one of your books here in a little bit, but we're going to kind of touch on it now. 
and that's kind of learning from learning the lessons and learning the next big things as they come across as they come down the, the line and everything and it's it's kind of not evolving you were mentioning the pca trade show and how how that may need to evolve as well it's kind of reading between the lines and your commentary there um and i remember you actually talking one time about about kodak in fact this may have actually i think this was in your book as well you know kodak was actually ahead of the curve with the digital camera and a lot of people don't realize that they had the digital camera before anybody else but they actually nixed the project because they saw that it was dipping into their main revenue stream at the time which was film and and they ended up nixing it and boom kodak is no more so right you know what what's the biggest lesson that you want the if you want the pca or the premium cigar industry to actually take from that big that big lesson Yeah, listen, times are changing. You got to watch uh, these things as they happen. Sears and Roebuck, their last store closed today. I don't know if you saw that news. Yeah. I was explaining to my daughter, I said, listen, they were the, the biggest retailer in the world and on top of the world. And log company in the world too. And they didn't get on the internet when it came on and they went in a different direction, they tried to hold on uh, with what they had, which um, was retail shops and not ch- change along with it and have both. Um, and that's what we saw with Kodak also. They had it, it was right there in their hands and they said, nope, we're gonna hang on to this film thing. And film is no more. Um, it happened in the video store business. It happened so many different things. And that's what I like to do. I don't like to just look inside the cigar industry. Uh, it's just too small to look at and, and make um, business decisions based on this little teeny industry. But look at the world around us and what's going on. And that's when you have to make, make changes. So, you know, look at trade shows, not just the PCA trade show, but let's look at all trade shows and see what some, um, you know, what is the music trade show um, insert. I have a buddy that's in that business and I talk to him about it. And what, and what about, um, you know, hardware store businesses? Um, you know, it doesn't matter what the, what the product is. We have to figure out what the right direction to go in, uh, despite it's not our industry. Uh, it is a product. We have a product and um, mm-hmm. we have to change and evolve. And, um, you know, we, we have different, some different things that, you know, for whatever reason, the government hates us so much um, the misinformation that's told about cigars. So we have to combat that, but at the same time, we have to figure out different ways around um, brick and mortar. And, um, you know, when it comes to brick and mortar, we have so many advantages as brick and mortar stores to do what the online guy cannot do. It's hard to go online and have a cigar with somebody sitting in there and meeting new people um, and having an experience inside that store. So if that's what we have and they don't have, we have to highlight that and we have to make ours even better on those things. I used to promote Two Guys Smoke Shop and say we have the biggest and best selection uh, around. Some people would say we have the best prices around. Well, those days are gone because the biggest and best selection is online. Every single brand is there. And I can't carry every single brand, but it's all there. 
and it's just a button click away. So you can't use that uh, analogy and you can't go with that. Somebody's got a lower price than you. So you don't have the best prices either. What do you have? You have a nice clean store with friendly staff, education, um, events, promotions, all kinds of stuff that we can do instead of what we used to say. You know, so we got we got to change the narrative and we have to um, highlight what we can be best at, not the stuff that we can't compete with. And, and that's exactly my point, Dave. One of the I think one of the biggest frustrations that I've seen overall in retail and, and, and this isn't necessarily we're not, I'm not necessarily pointing fingers at anybody in particular, but I think it's kind of like this rut. And dare I say that COVID may prove to be the may prove to be the fix in some kind of way to kind of nix the the old in this but you know i've i've been in cigar retail for 10 years now and an event 10 years ago is the same as quote unquote an event today rep or a cigar manufacturer or a brand owner comes to the shop there's a table with boxes and there's promotions buy one get one you know buy one get you know buy three get one but you know whatever and it it's a lot of it's a lot of repeat uh, a lot of repeat kind of uh, you know strategies, and you know while that certainly that certainly gets a lot of uh, dollars turned into the register and it, it it certainly does a couple of things. We we've kind of seen the 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 event kind of taper off. I think in years past, but I, I would argue you probably don't have that that issue, right? You know. And, I, and for years, I wouldn't allow a manufacturer to give away cigars in our store. Uh, you know, I said, if you have some sort of swag or something you want to give with a purchase, uh, sure. But to give away cigars in a cigar shop, all I sell is cigars. Two Guys Smoke Shop is a, you know, it's called Two Guys Smoke Shop because back in 1985, that's what we were. There were no cigar shops. Nobody had, uh, if you see the name of a store that's called Something Cigars, that was not in the 80s. That had to have happened in the mid-90s for that store to have that name because you couldn't make enough money on cigars. There wasn't enough customers for those for that product. We were smoke shops, so two guys smoke shop, but we are exclusive to cigars. And to say buy three, get one free, at the end of the, the not at the end of the day, yes, you're going to ring more sales up that day, but let's now drag it out throughout the month. At the end of the month, you should be down 25% in sales because you gave away 25%. How do you make it up? Volume? No. You know, the, the person's not going to smoke an, an extra cigar because they got one for free. You've dropped your sales down to 25%. Um, I'm okay with if they want to give the special cigar or if they want to give um, the um, unreleased cigar or the cigar that is not coming out yet or the brand uh, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do when they end up giving a giving something that the one that I don't carry, the line that I don't carry. That it's okay too. You know, they're trying to get me to end up carrying that or get the get the um, the consumer to be asking for for what they don't get at our store. But to give the exact same product of of it, uh, and I know the product itself has a perceived value. And it costs them less for that perceived value because, of course, they make that cigar. But it, it, it's just bad business when it comes down to it, especially if it's over and over. And now you're creating a mooch market. 
the stores that end up having that kind of promotion week after week after week, the customer comes in and they're not buying unless it's on daily. Now you've created a mooch, mooch market. We are a premium industry. This is a luxury product. It should not be discounted. It should not be uh, given away for free. It's a luxury product. And um, it's just always the chase that each manufacturer trying to sell more that day or, um, you know, what, what's the sales of the day that ends up happening. I like when somebody comes in and tries a cigar that the manufacturer had. Maybe the guy only bought one because he said, hey, I don't know if I like this, but I'll, I'll try one. And the next week he comes back and he goes, that cigar was really good from last week. Give me a box of it. Now, there's the win that ends up happening there. The manufacturer may look at it and say, well, we didn't sell all that many cigars that day. What happens that day is just getting people to spotlight that cigar that day. Uh, in, in, in something like my stores, if a manufacturer gets, gets the spotlight there, and we, we're kind of a high volume store, you get the spotlight your cigar in my store, uh, there's the win right there. What happens afterwards is up to the cigar. If the cigar was really that good for that, for that amount of money, it's going to be well worth it. And you didn't have to give the, the world away at the same time and create that mooch market. This, you can get very creative with, with different things. Uh, in the book, that uh, David versus Goliath, how to compete and beat the online giant, I say to uh, the retailer, and you know, in, in, that, in the book, I have the book right here. I'll, I'll just show it for the people that... Uh, on there watching it, uh, David versus Goliath, how to compete and beat the online giant. And in the book, I'm really talking to all retailers, but to be honest with you, the only retail I've been in in the past 36 years is the cigar business. So every single, uh, this is a hundred proven promotions for brick and mortar retailers. Every single thing was done, proven promotions, right? So for me to say proven promotions, I did every single one of these things and these are the ones that worked. I can, I, I can have an encyclopedia this big of the ones that didn't. So I left those out. I just put the <laughs> ones in that work. Um, let's say I gave away, instead of giving away a free cigar, it is um, buy three and get a chance to win $50 million. Buy three cigars, get a chance to win $50 million. Now, the retailers are going to say, oh, my God, I, I can't do an event like that. Um, you know, you give away cars, you give away cash, you do all this stuff. You, now you're saying $50 million. How do I deal with a promotion like that? You go in the when you when you see your lottery in your state, that's really high. You mass millions or, or uh, megabucks or whatever, the, whatever they call those things. And it, it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it's only $30 million this week. You go out and buy. 50 of those lottery tickets, 100 of those lottery tickets, and you put them in a bowl. And that morning you say, buy three, get a chance to win $30 million. And they buy three of those cigars, and they reach their hand in the bowl, and they get a ticket that they could win, possibly win $30 million. And the ticket costs you a dollar. You've not disgraced the brand. You didn't drop your sales 25%. You got a little creative. It's fun. The, the people come in and look at it when they see the bowl there, they see the sign outside that says, uh, 
brand X, buy three, get a chance to win $30 million. They walk in the store, they see the bowl on there, there's a big smile on their face. And you know what they do? They buy three of the cigars and they take a, a lottery ticket. And God forbid someday somebody wins the $30 million, you'll be on the news. You gave away $30 million. Yeah, and, you, and you gave away a dollar. alone. <laughs> yeah. And, and you gave away a dollar and you didn't disgrace the brand itself. And I guarantee you, you're going to sell more than the buy three, get one free. And overall, you know, maybe not that day or, or whatever, but. You know, when I do things like that, and I'll do that in the, on the on the spur of the moment, uh, any day that I happen to be feel like, okay, let me do something like that. I have a brand that's not selling well. I think the brand is good. Nobody's trying it. And I come in with 100 lottery tickets, throw them in the bowl, put that event on there. And at the end, we sold 80 of the 100 tickets. And I say to the, to the guys working that day, okay, we got 20 tickets. We're all in this together. If any of these tickets come out, we're splitting the, the 30 million between however many of us are working or something like that. And, you know, we win a couple of bucks or we win some free tickets along the way or something like that. It, it doesn't go to waste. It's not a wasteful thing. It's, it's fun. But believe me, the customer has a smile on their face instead of the, the same old thing that's there. The rep can be there at the same time too. And you can get the rep to pay you for that dollar ticket in free goods that you'll put back in your inventory and you'll make money on top of that. And you say, yeah, instead of giving us the free cigars, I got $100 worth of lottery tickets here. Give me enough cigars to cover that $100. Boom, if that's what you want, if that's, if that's what you want to ask for. Get a little creative. There's a, there's a book of 100 different things in there. When, when, I, when I put it out, people said to me, uh, you know, friends and stuff would say, you, you're giving all your, uh, your secrets away to all your competitors. I said, good. I hope they use them and I hope they grow their business. Rising tides will raise all ships. We will all grow together if they end up doing it. And that's what I hope ends up happening. Now, Dave, this is a mentality that I've, I've long admired about you. And it's, it's the same type of mentality of, of the, the retailer that I happen to work for for years in Mike Peacock, Absolutely. which is like competition uh, breeds success. And that there's, there's there, you know, you shouldn't shy away from competition. You shouldn't be nervous about competition. And it's even the way that you view competition, that they're not even competitors. You're doing, you, you know, you're doing your thing and that, and that's kind of, the end of it, but you take, you've taken it a step further with like this book is for an example, because you're, like you said, you're giving your secrets away and it's not, and you're, and you're doing it because you, you honestly and earnestly want the guy down the street to be successful with it. Now. So that with that moniker of the rising tide raises all boats, why is it so important to you? I was the guy, when, when I opened in, in Massachusetts, remember I opened in 1985, there were two giant cigar shops that, that were in Boston. Um, they're there, they were there over 100 years when I got in. I was a 25-year-old kid. I get in the cigar business. The pushback was unbelievable of them. If you sell to him, you're not going to sell to me. Manufacturers wouldn't open us up. I have never, ever told a manufacturer not to open my competitor. They have come to me and said, oh, there's a store that opened down the street. We're not going to open them. And I said, please open them. Listen, they're going to buy somebody's cigar. Why would you do that to yourself? You're not helping me out by doing it, please. You're never going to hear that from me. Open them up. I was on the receiving end very, very badly on that. And you know what? 
I not only survived through it, I got bigger than them at the same time. And some of the people that did push away from me and I didn't never did business with them, I, I, I know them and I talk with them to this day and they're sorry what they did, but they didn't know any better. Now, that doesn't happen in the restaurant business that one guy sells a guy chicken and is not going to open the restaurant across the street that sells chicken. And why would, should it happen in the cigar industry? It happens there because it's such a mom and pop industry. A lot of the guys that get into the cigar business, guys and girls, they came from another industry. They like cigars and they want to have a cigar store because they like it. As I said to you earlier, I say to them, uh, what can I do to talk you out of getting into the cigar business? Because usually it's for the wrong reasons that they're getting in or they think it's a lot easier than this. You need to uh, work very hard and um, it, it could be different brands. You know, why come the two guys smoke shop? Some people travel 30, 40 miles and they pass a whole bunch of stores to come to two guys smoke shop. We have different brands than the, the other people along the way. We have a different experience. I'm friends with all of them in New Hampshire, the ones that are part of the New Hampshire organization and the ones that, that aren't. And uh, they're very successful. And you know what? To get to them, you have to drive past me. And there, they were very smart to do it also. And I, and I hope I helped along with that with them to say, please don't try to be me because I will beat you being me. Be a little different than I am. Try to figure out what your thing is. We don't have a, uh, well, I say we don't have a liquor license. We have a liquor license at all three of our stores, but we never serve the drink ever. And uh, I created the liquor license in the state of New Hampshire uh, so that anybody could get a liquor license if they wanted uh, because of uh, I want to go home earlier. And uh, I was in that business before in the nightclub business. Um, I decided, no, I, I, I was done with that when I was done with that. Um, but my customer may leave when we close and go to their shop and hang out there. And they, it's a total different experience uh, when they go there. Good. And um, listen, I'm a cigar geek, big time. And I want to talk to other cigar geeks. And I'm, I'm big into marketing and business. And I want to talk to other business people. If I push myself away and not embrace my competitor, they'll stop talking to me. And I want to talk. I want to I, I, I want to geek out about cigars and say, hey, did you hear about this? Or what did you think of the new cigar? And, you know, I, I love it. And they love it, too, if they can just get past that I sell what they sell. I sell cigars and they sell cigars. Don't hate me because I sell cigars and you sell cigars, too. Let's geek out about it and learn from each other and be able to have this conversation like restaurants do, like car dealership people do. Why this cigar industry uh, that people do this is, is it doesn't make any sense to me. And I do hear it from, from other people that, uh, no, you sell to him and uh, I want the exclusive for this. They want exclusivity on certain brands of cigars. It's madness to have exclusivity. The only person that has it is you and they're not going to bump into it and try it somewhere else. It's, it's really perplexing. 100% right that that's what happens. Right. No, it's really perplexing to me that um, that, you know, competitive, uh, the competitive edge um, that people feel that they have with exclusivity of product, because if you have a product, 
exclusively and someone else doesn't um it that then that might be the only reason that they're coming to your shop because that almost create that almost creates the reverse effect in my mind in some cases like that doesn't make me that doesn't make you attractive to me as a consumer that also that kind of that kind of almost has a negative connotation like well why couldn't you let Dave have that cigar like or why, why did you demand the exclusivity on it so it it almost in my mind and maybe this is just because of my own industry bias but I mean it almost can create a, a kind of almost a negative a negative uh, uh, impression upon me and I don't but I don't think I'm weird I mean am I weird Dave what do you think well you know so I, I've created things along my, my career in the cigar business uh, one of them being the firecracker so I created the firecracker uh, it did very, very well for me. And because of a, a different brand that I created years ago that I let go to a, another manufacturer and did very well with it, I said, you know what? I missed a golden opportunity. Not, not to make more money, but this product is something unique. I think it's pretty cool. It does well in my store. Everybody should have it. So I gave it up. I gave it up and I said, okay, everybody can have it. Uh, it's not going to affect my sales. If I was going to sell 100 boxes a year of that brand, I'll still brand of the, a year of that brand. But instead, I can make a thousand boxes of that brand, and everybody can have some and sell some too and make money. And everybody, it, it didn't affect me in any way because they ended up getting it. Was you know, that nub? Um, that was nub, right? Nub, nub is what I created. It went to Oliva, uh, who who asked permission to end up using that product. And I gave it to them. And uh, the amazing thing was that it took off, uh, you know, we, we sold maybe, you know, a hundred boxes a year of that uh, under a different name, but the same exact product. Um, and the next thing you know, it's one of the biggest brands in the nation. And uh, seeing that happen, I said, okay, I was sitting on um, Firecracker at the time still. And I said, okay, let, let me go and take um, Firecracker National and let everybody have it. And um, it, it doesn't affect the sales of Firecracker to me. I sell more Firecracker than I did last year. And the year before, I, I sell more than that year. So we continue to grow Firecracker in our own store. And certainly Firecracker continues to grow nationwide on top of it. So uh, I learned my lesson um, with Nub. I want to talk about Firecracker a little bit more in a minute here, but I want to take a stroll down memory lane for a second here, Dave, because we were talking about, you know, the, 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 the twists and turns like Nub, for example. And there's, there's, plenty of, there's plenty of things in your 36 years that you've been a part of or seen. You know, last time you and I spoke on Cigar Coop Primetime Special Edition, you know, we talked about how you were there at the very beginning of La Gloria Cubana and Padron. Perdomo was selling cigars out of his garage look at him now. Uh, and, yeah. and, and these are, these are guys you took a chance on and, and now they're, they are staples in every single humidor, uh, in the, you know, in this country and in some cases, arguably the world. Um, so, but taking a stroll down memory lane here, uh, you know, you've been, you've made your mistakes. You've obviously made your successes in business, but the cigar business isn't the only business that you've been in. You've mentioned that you were in the DJ business. That's when you were, you know, uh, slinging, slinging liquor and, uh, and, and records all in the same night and everything. And I want to touch on that in a moment, but 
the DJ business was not even your first business. Your first business was something. This is something I learned the other day. I was I was really excited to talk to you about this. Your first business was as a teenager in high school, and you bought a diner. I did. So I've I've been self-employed my whole life, and uh, all the things I did, I had no right to do. I overextended myself in every single thing I did. The diner was an interesting story, and uh, this has been written up in 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 some uh, business uh, reviews and things uh, because what I did is try to uh, buy a business. Uh, I believe I was 17 years old. So I was in high school and it was school vacation and there was somebody at the diner going on vacation. It was only a, a two person diner, two people worked there and the lady that worked there, there was the owner and a lady that was there and she was going to go on vacation because she had children and she was going to take school vacation and take their kids somewhere. And um, I heard that and I said, uh, if you need help, I'm on school vacation and uh, I'd love to come in and learn and help you out. So the guy said, okay. So uh, I worked there uh, for, for that week. So uh, Monday and Tuesday I worked and the guy inherited that business from his mother um, who owned the diner before him. And here he was work, working in there and he was miserable. And um, he, he treated the customer very badly. Uh, he was miserable being there and by the second day, I said something to him and I said, hey, what's with this? Uh, you're working here every single day. It's your place. You hate it so much. Why don't you go do something else? And he said, do what? And I said, I don't know what, but um, you hate it so much. You should find something that you like doing better than that. And he says, well, I inherited the diner. I own it. And basically, he figured he was a lifer. Who's going to buy it and what's it worth? And I said, well, from what I have read about businesses, they're worth two and a half times your earnings. So let's take, um, I don't know what you make, but let's assume he made $250 a week was his pay. Again, this was 1978, 1978. So do the math on that one of uh, uh, how long ago that was. Um, again, a 17-year-old kid. And um, times two and a half, what you make, times two and a half. So uh, you do that math and let, let's assume that comes out to, um, I believe 26,000 a year uh, is the pay. And if, if it's 26,000 a year, it's $500 a week. Um, no, it would be $600 a week, say, say $600 a week. So he's making 250 a week, 600 a week times 26 weeks uh, is what the it's worth. the math in my head, whatever it was. Uh, but for, for easy numbers, let's, let's call it um, $600 a week for 52 weeks. So I said, uh, I'll buy it. And, and I said, well, there's, there's just one problem. And he said, what's that? And I said, I don't have any money. I'm a 17 year old kid living at home uh, and I've only worked two days in the diner so far, so I don't have $26,000. And he goes, well, why would you talk to me about this like this? I said, well, I have an idea. And the idea is that when I graduate, which is going to be in May, uh, June 1st, I'll take over. And um, I'll own it at that point. And every month you come by and you pick up your uh, money that I owe you for that month. 
and every month I pay you. And if I miss a month, wherever I miss that month, you take over. So you're getting two and a half times your money every single month while you're on vacation or while you're looking for another job or whatever. And you hope month 11, I don't pay you, but I won't. I'm going to pay you all 12 months. And at the end of the 12 months, I own the business. And he said, uh, if you're willing to do it, I'll do it. The guy was overworked. He was dead. He wanted a day off and he couldn't. And, uh, you know, it, it made sense to him. I went home that day. My mother said, how was it at the diner today? I said, it was great. I said, uh, I'm buying the diner. And she laughed at me. And about an hour or so later, <laughs> the doorbell rang. And there was the owner of the diner. And my mother yells to my father, John, David, start in trouble. He's doing something wrong or whatever. And uh, I'm sitting at the table <laughs> writing the contract. And uh, with my carbon copy paper, piece of paper in between two, black piece of paper in between the two white pieces of paper, the carbon copies it on there. I wrote the contract of how it was, how it was to go. And um, the guy signed it. I signed it. And um, he said, okay. Um, you said June 1st, you're going to take over. I said, yes. Um, I said, if it would be all right with you, I would like to come by after school every day so you can teach me how to cook because I don't know how to cook. And uh, he said, well, I don't know. And I said, I'll work for free. And he said, absolutely. Come and learn how to cook. Come and do learn whatever you want. Learn how to wash dishes. Learn how to do everything. I said, absolutely. So uh, I finished that week and got paid for it. After that, I worked for free until June 1st when I took over the business. I took over the business. I kept it going for about three and a half years. I grew the business two and a half times the, the, uh, what he was doing at that time uh, because I was nice to the customer. I appreciated them. I thanked them. I cleaned the place up, uh, you know, and I learned how to cook. So uh, again, it was a diner. So we were doing breakfasts and lunches and that was it. And uh, I sold the business for a lot more money than I bought it for and then got into the music business. I, actually, these are always crisscrossing. So I get into the music business because that's at night. I'm doing both jobs. The music business is doing good enough to be able to sell the first business off. And then I did that. And the same thing happened with the music business. I was doing the music business for 12 years. For three, for the last three years of that, I was doing two guys smoke shop. So it crisscrosses. If you if you start looking at the dates and you say, well, the only way you could have done that twelve years is you had to do both of them. I did, and it was tough, but I had to wait for two guys smoke shop to do well enough where I could quit the job that was basically paying for two guys smoke shop. At the beginning of it, it was losing money, like any business does. It takes you about three years. Um, to stop breaking even. It takes you five years to make up the money you lost. So you're five years in and now you start earning money over and above what, what you've lost. Uh, and, and that's the average business. If you, if you got a horseshoe uh, up your butt and uh, you're lucky and you, you come out of uh, the thing and you're making money, congratulations to you. It's never happened to me before, but uh, there's people smarter than me that can start making a profit right away. It wasn't me. So Dave, let me, this is, I think this is a very important question to ask something that I'm, how do you, since you've been successful every step of the way, again, you've made your mistakes. I'm not saying yeah, you're perfect, but how do you, how does one walk away from a successful business? How do you walk away from a successful diner? You built it up to three and a half times or two and a half times what it was worth. You sold it for much more than you bought it for. 
Why'd you walk away? Why'd you walk away from a success? Boy, that was because that was a tough business. That was not, I, I loved the cigar business. I didn't love the, the diner business. I didn't know any better. Those were the days when you didn't buy pre-made foods. I mean, everything was from scratch. Uh, it was steam tables. It weren't microwaves. Uh, it was a tough, tough business. It was a 3 a.m. wake up. Uh, 5 a.m. You're starting to serve breakfasts. It was tough. Remember, I'm, I'm, uh, by then I'm an 18-year-old kid. And uh, all my friends are out partying and going to the discotheques and having fun. And they would show up at five o'clock in the morning. They haven't gone home yet. And uh, I didn't get to live the, the life that I ended up uh, wanting. The place was very, very old. I didn't own the building at all. And the, the man that owned the building, I said, geez, the refrigeration is bad here. This is bad here. Uh, lots of problems. I said, um, I'm going to need a lease or something if I'm going to sink money into this and he said oh the lady that he wanted his mother before him and you can stay as long as you want well the guy was getting older uh he wouldn't give me a lease and how much was i going to sink into the business that frankly i i didn't love the business at all uh it, it was the money coming in and everything was nice but um, I, I just couldn't, I, I really appreciate people in the restaurant business. And I've brought up restaurants a few different times and I know a lot of people. It is the toughest job in the world, uh, owning a restaurant. It has so many moving parts. The easiest one, you know, to talk about one extreme to the other is the cigar business. Cigars don't go bad. Food goes bad. Cigars actually age and get better, better with age. <laughs> right, I was just and saying. If it did, yeah, if it didn't sell, most likely the price of the product you bought gets more valuable as it sits on the shelf when, when there's price increases. Not so much with food. So it was tough. I didn't see uh, a lifetime of it. As a matter of fact, when I sold it, I said, I'll never do that again. It was successful, but I will never do that again. And I've been offered great opportunities in the, in the restaurant business. And I look, I look at all businesses all the time. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to do the restaurant business. I will be a customer. I'll be a great customer of yours. As you can see, I, I do my fair share of eating, but I, I'm not going to uh, prepare it uh, for other people. No. 36 years in the cigar business. You finally, you, uh, after two business, two successful businesses, you found your calling. I did. And I knew it. I knew it when I, those three years when I was doing both those businesses as a disc jockey, I'll tell you too, not to, not to go bragging on it. I was uh, about the top DJ uh, in the Boston disco market at the time. I mean, I broke music, like I break cigars, uh, music acts and stuff would, would send me their stuff because uh, they wanted me to play their music uh, because in those days, we're talking the, um, um, the whole 80s, right? 78 to um, the whole 80s to 80. When did I stop? Maybe 80. So 85, 86, 88. Yeah, probably the whole 80s I was in, in the business. Um, I was real good at it. But the problem that I was seeing in that business was... I was getting older, a little creepy. I, I was feeling like, all right, you know, they're going to start calling me Uncle Dave or something here instead of, uh, you know, the hip young DJ or something as I was getting older. And I was still a young man, but in that, in that industry, you needed to be young, younger. 
And um, I didn't have one nightclub going. I had seven nightclubs at the same time. So I would turn barrooms into discotheques, my sound, my lights, and I'd put DJs in them along with, I'd be working one myself all the time too. So it was, it was more than just a, a, a DJ thing. It was uh, sound rentals, music, uh, you know, all, all kinds of things were going on in that business. And it was really good. But again, it, it got... to buy a cigar um, before I would go to work. And early in the night, I'd light the cigar up because you're waiting for the audience to come. I'm the first guy in there. And, you know, nobody wanted to be the first one in the nightclub. It would take a while for the place to get, get busy. So I'd be playing music, but I'd smoke a cigar. And um, this is my love affair with cigars, how it begins. And when the cigar would get down to the band, I put the cigar in the ashtray because we could smoke everywhere in those days. And then I would start playing to the crowd and paying attention, really paying attention to the music and the mixes. And um, while I'm doing that and I'm getting older at the same time, I'd go into the little cigar shop, uh, which, which is in Malden, Massachusetts. And um, I would, when I'd go in to get a cigar in there, I'd look at it and I'd say, this is cool, man. This is what I want to do. This is it. And uh, I ended up opening the little cigar shop again for three years while I was doing the disc jockey thing, just to make sure this is what I wanted to do. And hoping and praying that the cigar business would grow enough to be able to let me give up all that money I was making in the nightclub business and be able to survive. Now, uh, it took many, many years, a lot more than the three years to get there. But when I got to three years, I said, OK, I can live. I can barely live, but I can live and I can stop paying attention 100 percent to the cigar shop. Uh, and this is the important thing of these people that are part time um, entrepreneurs. Um, you really can't get big until you give it your all. And. percent on the cigar business. Within one year, I was able to open the second store. A year later, I was able to open the third store uh, because I gave 100% to it. By, by working all night long and coming in the store, I was, I was not doing my best for either of those businesses at the time until I went full-time. Dave, there, you know, again, these are, these are huge risks you undertook. You know, probably, you know, I mean, probably the first one and the third one, probably bigger than the DJ business at the time. But I mean, these were huge risks that you took personally and professionally. So I have to ask, where, where does your courage come from? Well, the good news on early on, if I end up uh, not paying the bill, what did, what did I have to lose and what did he have to lose? So there, there was the win-win situation that uh, there was a positive end to him that this guy was going to sell it for two and a half times earnings and get out of something he hated. So there was the win for him. And here was a poor kid that there's no way I can own a business that this guy is going to take the chance actually that, that I am going to fail and, and knowing to myself that no matter what, I'm not going to fail. Uh, I, I thought there was very little risk. Um, and that's how, how it went as it went on. Um, you know, what, what happens to a lot of people is success is the thing that holds people back, that they have something to lose. When you have nothing to lose, 
then uh, it's no big deal at that point. Now, at this point, if you told me to take some mega, mega risk after all I have done and all the success and everything that I earned and now risk it all again, I probably wouldn't do it. So, you know, the younger guy has can take those risks and the older guy doesn't do it. We even see that in the cigar industry that, you know, we, we talk about the, the Nick Perdomos and Rocky Patels and stuff. And I grew up with these guys. I say um, that I remember when they started and I was a young man and they were a young man. And, and um, you know, what did they have to lose? Work, work very, very hard. The problem arises when they end up selling a company like that and they get all the money. Example of this, that here's a guy that, that sold out and he ended up doing it a second time. Uh, and that's what Carrillo, he's, a, he's another one that ended up doing. I look at these people and say they did cash out and then they started up again. I've never cashed out to start up again because I am afraid of that. I'm afraid, believe me, somebody came to me and offered me an awful lot of more than enough forever. And, uh, you know, usually a three-year non-compete and then you could start up again. And I go, I can't do what I did before again. Not at this age. There's no way I could work like an animal and end up doing it again. So it's great looking on the outside. And that's no Korea was no, was no spring chicken when he started again and um you know i i i idolize i idolize the man for end up saying okay i'm gonna start from scratch again just a little bit of rollers because that's how he started and build it back up a lot a lot of work uh to do it it wasn't easy and uh i i don't have that to to do that again from scratch i don't think well, that's uh that that uh, covered up my next question uh for you dave but uh you know this is uh there's this uh, leaves so much more to discuss with you, but, you know, again, as we started off and kicked tonight's show off, you know, you were, uh, you, you were already uh, saying you're welcome. So I don't want to keep you here too. Long, so. <laughs> I'm just joking with you though. Uh-huh. Whatever, whatever you need, I'm here. Whatever no, you I, need. And I appreciate it, Dave. This has been, this has been absolutely fantastic. And these are some of the questions I've been dying to ask you. Uh, I mean, a wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience, uh, just incredible success in, in, in not just the cigar industry, but the, uh, the story when I learned about it from the diner was really just blew me away. And, uh, and I'm glad we got to share it tonight with my audience and, uh, and I could, uh, I could uh, listen to it uh, from, from your own mouth as well. But uh, I, I wanted to go into a couple other things tonight. This is our, what I call our fun segments. And uh, the next uh, next segment, of course, is uh, our One Must Go, which, of course, is brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolera Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron lines. So smoke one today and start living united. And this is the first time I get to say that we are smoking and living united because you are smoking a yes. Garofalo and I'm smoking an Atabay. So we are living the united way. So I, I may have stolen a line from another company, but it's okay. They're not listening. So anyway, <laughs> this is our one must go segment, Dave. And this is something, uh, I, you know, I've, I've noticed the trend that I've done the last few weeks. I've done a different spin on this particular segment and I've kind of gone towards the negative. Today, I want to go towards the positive. 
you know, there's, there's a lot of, you've done a lot of positive things in your careers we've talked about. And so there's, and you, you get such joy out of the cigar industry that I wanted to focus on three joys here. So before I even, we even present the question, I want to ask what your biggest joy is in three parts of your business. Okay. So if you could narrow down what, what is, and if you can't narrow the biggest joy, just a joy in general that you enjoy the joy about each part of the businesses, each part of the business that you do. So let's start with podcaster. Okay. You, you're on the cusp of 600, not just episodes. Let's bring this to attention. Okay. I'm at 184 takes and they are by no means consecutive. I've missed a couple of weeks here and there in almost four years of doing this, but you have done almost 600 episodes consecutively. What is your biggest joy as a podcaster? Uh, you know, it, it exceeded my expectations as, as two guys smoke shop did. Um, you know, I, I never thought it would get as big as it did. Uh, two guys smoke shop, but I am really shocked when it comes to the cigar authority. When I, when I go to the trade show, listen, you, I've said some of the things I've did, did in the cigar industry. Uh, I'm proud of everything I did and, and how successful it became. And when I go to trade shows, people pull me aside and said, Oh my God, it's the guy from the cigar authority. And I'm like, really? That's who I am. Even at my anniversary party, people that came in there and said, oh, it's Dave from the Cigar Authority. And I'm like, wow, of everything I did 36 years in the cigar industry, I, I am now the guy from the, from the podcast. That's what I am. And let me tell you, I started the podcast in 2010. People didn't know what a podcast was. I used to have to get people's phones and say, let's see this little button here. That's podcast. Oh, I never saw that before. I said, you walk around with it every day here. Now here's how you do it. And here's how to thing and listen to it and teach people of what it was. It is morphed. And, and maybe COVID was, was some part of that because people were dying for um, hearing something what's going on. Uh, because I know we, we doubled up, we were doing really good and we doubled up during COVID of getting uh, more audience uh, and engagement and everything that ended up happening. So the Cigar Authority went crazy. Uh, well, what's the question again? What do you, what do I want? What's the big, what's the biggest joy you get out of being a podcaster? Um, what's the joy of it? Uh, listen, I'm a cigar geek. I, I want to continue to talk about cigars. And in 2010, maybe there wasn't enough people around uh, that wanted to hear me continue to talk about cigars. And it became a one-way directional talk. I got to talk about it, whether people were listening or not. And at the beginning, people weren't listening. It took, again, it took years um, to, to uh, my first advertiser came in after three and a half years. So again, back to businesses, it takes you three and a half years to break even. Um, it certainly didn't. I mean, I spent a lot of money on that to end up uh, getting it, but uh, it's, it's successful. Um, what is the joy from it? I, I get to, uh, you know, I interviewed, um, Winston Churchill's, uh, grandson, um, David right. Ortiz from the, from the, um, uh, big poppy cigar, but more than that from the Boston Red Sox. Um, you know, it's amazing. Some of the people that, um, come and see the show and sit in, um, comedians and all kinds of things like that, let, let alone uh, people from the cigar industry. I had Rocky Patel up here this year. 
Now, Rocky Patel's been a uh, advertiser with us for probably maybe five years or so. Uh, he had never come in on a Saturday into that store. And he came up and he saw the podcast studio and he goes, oh, my God, he sat in the show and uh, we had him off after one hour. And when I took the next break, he said, do we advertise on the show? And I said, yes, you do. Thank you. Yes, you do. He didn't even know that he advertised on the show. <laughs> That's somebody else's thing. And he at the end of the show, the show's over and he was just blown away. He's been an advertiser for five years. He's, he's known me since the day he got into the cigar industry. And he was actually blown away. He goes, I can't believe what you did. It was like the first time ever any seeing it. And, and I love that reaction of people anyway, when they show up at our anniversary party and they see it for the first time, when they come in the two guys smoke shop for the first time and they see it. But the podcast thing, I mean, we, we I certainly went overboard with, with the set and the whole bit, but I love that shock of oh my god and that's part of the overall experience right mm -hmm. that you you come in the studio 21 and you see the the podcast studio and it's all in lights and it's pretty cool looking and the and the overall experience is great i get off on it i, I i'm uh I, I don't know what it is but I, i'm proud of myself at that point that somebody looks at something like that and it's over exceeds their expectation of what they thought it was. So I, I'd say that's the biggest thing always uh, when I'm opening a store, when we're doing anything that um, I have high expectations for myself. So I, I push myself, which is an entrepreneurial thing. If you're that, if, if you're not that type of person, uh, listen, I, I could not go to work tomorrow morning. If I, if I want to, I'm staying up late tonight but I am going to go to work tomorrow and I'm excited to go to work tomorrow and I will, but sometimes you got to push yourself to do it. And I push myself in every aspect of this as some of the biggest names in the cigar industry, who I know very well, the people we're talking about today, these guys push themselves. And if you're that type of person that can push yourself and do it, no matter what, you know, good times and bad, when you're not feeling good, you turn it on. And uh, you know, I've got off a show, that, you know, I wasn't feeling good going in the show. I turn it on and it's over and I go, oh my God, I'm going home. You know, I'm, I'm not feeling good or something. Ho hopefully never, nobody ever knew it. I learned that back in the disc jockey days that, you know, nobody wants a, a sick disc jockey and I'm doing somebody's wedding. I better be happy and perky. This is a big day for them. But every day is a big day for the guy walking in the cigar shop and a big day for somebody taking their time to listen to me on a podcast I, and I heard a lot of that, that, that people became friendly with each other over our podcast. Uh, they're friends with somebody else because they met them on a chat box and there they were together. Um, the, the cigar shop does it and the podcast does it. it it's a, you know, you, you don't realize it yet probably yourself, but you're going to bump into people that will be fast time friends with each other. And, and they became friends because of you and you never even knew it because it's your podcast that did it you're gonna see a lot of things like that no i've i know exactly what you're talking about dave i've had i've had i've had some experience with that um and it's it it, it, it you're right it just brings this this brings this high uh in so many different ways you know i i uh i actually connected one of one of the proudest things for me was I, one of my most loyal listeners and i know you know him he's a uh, new to the board of PCAJ Davis of Blue Smoke here in Dallas, and uh, 
and uh, I connected him. I had uh, Jeff Hogan of Crux Cigars on uh, as an, I was interviewing Jeff and uh, I got them connected and, and Jay carries Crux now and loves it. And they, and his, and his customers love it. And, you know, it was because of the show and uh, absolutely. And I mean, that was so, that was so humbling and that was such a high um, to connect people at that kind of level of business and com- camaraderie and everything. I just, you're absolutely right. Um, so it sounds like you have the same experience as both a podcaster and a retailer. So what about as a brand owner and a distributor? You know, what, what's the, what's the, what's the joy there? What's the biggest joy there? Well, that, that came accidentally of, you know, I created United Cigar as a, as a totally different model. Um, United Cigar was Uniting Cigar Retailers. It was called United Cigar Retailers at the beginning. And what I was trying to do way before Zoom, this is, uh, uh, I forget what the, the, um, the computer thing was that we would do it, but it was a video thing like Zoom. And uh, we would meet bi-weekly and I would get retailers to meet bi-weekly and we would talk about improving our overall business and bring people in from other businesses like I do for myself. And I, again, sharing this with every, with other retailers, uh, like-minded retailers that want to improve their business and improve the industry overall. And I, sh- I uh, set up a booth at the trade show and I met with retailers every, every 30 minutes for eight hours a day for three and a half days uh, by appointment. I never stopped. And I did it for three years in a row and I could not get people engaged with this at all. I worked on um, uh, meetings every two weeks and I spent um, all week gearing up for those meetings. I had to learn myself some of these things um, when we didn't have a guest on uh, to end up teaching the class basically uh, and, and trying to improve it. And it just would not catch on. The people that needed it the most refused to join the group. And the people that were the best retailers that didn't need it so much were the people that joined. And um, even those people would not start showing up at meetings and things like that. And I said, wow, this is, this is going nowhere. And um, it was Oliver Nouveau that came to me. Oliver um, started... Um, Casa Monte Cristo, not Casa Monte Cristo, Casa Fuente in Las Vegas. Um, he started some brands over there. Big Daddy's, I believe, was, was a brand that they had. There. He worked for the Fry Boys of Las Vegas. I think he was there for 10, 12 years. And I had met him before. He used to live up in New England, but he was in Vegas for maybe 12 years or so. And when he left there, he came back to Massachusetts and he showed up at one of our events. It was a crazy event. Um, where we, uh, we got a chicken and we put him in a, ca- a caged area with, n- with numbers on the, on the ground. And we fed the chicken until he went to the bathroom and whatever number he landed on was the number of the person that won. So again, it's crazy. <laughs> we, we did lots of stuff. But at the end of that, at the end of that event, and I knew Oliver and who he was and everything, but he was at the event. He walks out into the parking lot with me at the end of the night. We all closed up together. And he said, uh, can I get you my resume? And I said, for what? And he said, uh, I want to work for you. And I said, doing what? And he says, working in the store. And I said, can you come by tomorrow or Monday or whatever? And he said, I'll come by tomorrow. 
I said, okay, come by tomorrow. I want to talk to you. And uh, he come back and I said, you, you don't want to work in a store and retail, do you? And he said, I love the stuff you do. And uh, I, w- I want to be part of this. And I said, well, do you know anything about United Cigar? And he said, no. So I said, okay, let, let me tell you about United Cigar. And I told him and he said, you're just not going to get the retailer to, um, to do that. It's a lot of work. Um, and it, it's just not going to, um, you know, turn into any, anything I don't think. And if you've been trying it for three years and hasn't taken off the ground, I don't think I can add to it as it is, but I would like to take it into a different direction and basically turn it into a distribution company of these brands that are good for brick and mortar retailers, um, basically of, of brands that are non-competitive. Dos Hombres that is um, priced on the box. You remember the old five cent cigars that would say five cents right on the box of cigars? Oh yeah. Our brand Dos Hombre says $5 right in the box. $5 $5 to $5.99, depending on the cigar and the box price printed right on it. And no matter what state in the country you're in, no matter what the tax is within that state, the price is the same, no matter what. And that is done through free goods, depending on the state that you're in. And we put that thing together along with, you know, him looking at some of the brands we had like United, uh, like La Giana. And him dear saying, you know, we need to change La Giana, which is my daughter and a brand I made in 1994. And he said, it needs a facelift. It needs some work, this, this, this. And he starts working on all these things. And he says, now it's marketable. Now, uh, even if you look at the the box of La Giana, it's like a draw. The box slides out of the draw and the box fits into the top where it doesn't flap down. And it's always the same exact angle that's there if you put it on the shelf or anything. And where the, the warning labels were going to have to be. Remember, the boxes were going to have to be a third of warning labels. So he was very creative when it came to that, too. And he really starts working on the stuff. And he says, OK, I'm going to go after he fixed everything. I'm going to go nationwide with this myself. One man show. And he went across the country like he owned it. And um you know, I'm, I'm a guy that is a, is a control nut, you know, and I watch the stuff he did and he'd come back and I'd say, how about if we do this? And I kind of said, okay, I'm going to let go here because you have taken a failing product that I have. I wasn't giving up on it, but you changed it and you changed it for the better. You saw what I couldn't see and um, I'm going to let you go with it. And he deals with the manufacturers. He deals with um, the brokers. A few times a year. Uh, The most I ever met with him was during COVID because he couldn't do traveling. So we were together a lot during that work, worked together on some of the things. But short of that, uh, I don't see him much, to be honest with you, nor do I call him or anything. If he has any questions or anything, uh, you know, he has a company credit card and he does does his thing. Um, it, it's really his operation. I, I, I would I do not want to be taking the bow for something that I don't deserve. And I don't deserve the bow for United Cigar. It's all him. OK, 
So something that you, so it's fair to say something you started, Dave, that has obviously, the, the joy is that it's morphed into something else under the, the, the guise of, uh, the guise and leadership of Oliver. Yes, yes. And believe me, I, I bring it up to him every once in a while and say, how about we do a little thing where we help the retailer and blah, blah, blah. He says, ah, you're getting back to trying to, you know, it, it, it's like I don't want to give up on uh, education. Um, when, when I did the um, RTDA, I was on the board of RTDA, and then I was again on the board of IPCPR when it became IPCPR. I joined those boards along with TAA, uh, twice at TAA also. not only to help out and give back to an industry that gave to me, but I was pushing the educational thing. I said, I, the, the brick and mortar retailer needs education. They don't have it and they don't know they need, they, they need it, but they do need it. And that's what we have to incorporate in there. And that was my biggest push to do it. And it was a lot of pushback. And I, and I wish they had done it again so that this doesn't look like the PCA is a trade show. It's not a trade show. And it needed that other element too, but I failed. And the problem is that uh, I didn't own, I don't own the company and I can't dictate that this is the way it's going. I only had one vote and very, very frustrating. And that's why I don't, I don't have partners in the business that it, it is a dictatorship. But when I do see something that's right, like Oliver making the changes that he did there, there's no doubt about it. I have to humble up and say, okay, my, my thing didn't work. Yours thing is, is working. It's growing. He doubles it up every, every year. I mean, it's a small, small company uh, compared to the people we're talking about. It's teeny, but we're talking about hundred percent increases year after year, after year, after year. So he's doing something right. That's awesome. So in the spirit of one must go, Dave, are these, all mm. these, the, all these individual joys that, uh, that have, they've brought to you, these, in, these three arms, seeing someone else take your vision and run with it, even in a completely different direction in uh, being a brand owner and distributor and the, the reaction, the customer reaction and the, the way that it's brought lives together as a podcaster and as a retailer, which joy would you, which joy would you say goodbye to? It sounds like you kind of already have in a way with brand owner and distributor, but I don't want to answer the question for you. So, yeah. So the choice is podcasting, retailing, or, um, the, 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 yeah, the individual joy that it brings you. Yeah. Which one, which one, which one's got to go now, obviously this isn't for reals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not saying, I'm if, not asking if, you if to you, say goodbye to something, but if you gave me the option to get rid of online sales, um, that would be the one I'd get rid of. That that wasn't there. You mix that in with with the brick and mortar. Uh, never liked it. Never liked the online thing. I think I think cigars are a face to face thing, and the people that buy online from me or buy online from everybody is missing something uh, major in the cigar industry, which is going to the store. You know, going to the candy store and buying the candy at the candy store is awesome. Buying it online the box comes in and that's it. Well, when it comes to cigars, I, it's 10 times better going into the cigar shop, but with the three choices you gave me, I'd, I'd give up. I'm a, I love the brick and mortar so much. And I started the cigar authority for my brick and mortar. And again, 2010, I was going to drive people, local people listening. Oh my God, that's really local to me and, and go there. But it turned out to be so international 
that ended up going um, national and international. Um, so that's the way that worked out. And, you know, when you have success with something, you don't fight it. You, you go with the success that it was. Um, but the, the, the stress I had in the three years that I went to that trade show, not being able to get, uh, you know, I'm a pretty good salesman. I can sell things to people, but I couldn't sell to the retailer. I could not sell the concept to the retailer. They didn't understand or I was poor at trying to explain what I was trying to accomplish. I don't know what was going on, but I couldn't do it. And uh, even heard from manufacturers who said, listen, you mean well what you're talking about. We know the retailer better than you do. The retailer you think, you think every retailer is like you. They're not like you. Uh, it's the only retailer I know. You know, I'm not that guy that goes around from way more cigar stores than I've been to. Uh, if somebody invites me to their cigar shop, I go, but I don't walk into somebody's store. I'll scare them to death if I walk in. I won't do that. Um, and, and certainly I'm, I'm busy with my own store and I worry about my own four walls and somebody else's. But um, yes, I thought that other brick and mortar retailers thought the way I do. And they don't. And it may, maybe it's better for them that they don't. I don't know. And they, may, they have a better life uh, where they can uh, smell the roses where I don't smell so many roses. Uh, I have my head's to the ground and I'm paying attention to business. So to each his own, I guess. There you have it. Getting rid of the online component of, of being a retailer. So before we conclude out this segment, though, I, I wanted to recant a story that you told said once. And you, you, it, it kind of came full circle a moment ago when you were talking about how the, the consumer that buys online is missing something by not experiencing the community the way that you described it, Dave. And I remember you talking once about Macanuna Portofinos. And anyone who's a retailer, yourself included, knows that Macanuda Portofino, even to this day, is still an animal. They sell boxes upon boxes year after year of Macanuda Portofino. And... But to this day, you've never and I and I actually thought about this to this day, other than my friend who I know who smokes them and I give and I, when I do smoke cigars with them, that's the only time I've ever seen someone smoke a Macanuda Portofino. I've never seen anyone smoke a, a Macanuda Portofino in a shop. Um, it, it, it's amazing. It's true. It, it's amazing to me. Thirty six years. It's never happened that somebody sat in a lounge and is smoking a Macanuda Portofino. And I saw a lot of them. Never seen it happen. So it's that it's that person that we're talking about that they're that's that they're 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 missing part of this they're missing part of this joy that we're talking about and uh, so if you're a Macanudo Portofino smoker and you're listening to this, join us join us in your local brick and mortar man <laughs> part, be part of the community because we're we're, we're uh, we, we want to for any for any other reason we just want to know why you enjoy that cigar day in and day out because. We don't get to see that. We don't get to have that conversation because they go out the door and we never hear from them again. <laughs> hey, and now that you bring that up, what is your take on Lancero cigars? My take? Personally. Yep. I, oh, I absolutely love them. I think you they're, love I mean, them. I love them. I, I, I do smoke them um, and I, I enjoy them. I enjoy that size. Um, I understand. I understand the counter to that argument, though, that, that that the reason why, you know, I've had, I've had Nick Perdomo on the show and the reason he doesn't make them is because they don't sell the right. same, the same reason most people don't uh, make them either. And, uh, but no, I, I absolutely love them. And 
you have it has to be there's 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 one exception to this rule and that's jorge down in houston right he's created a culture all around yes yes and 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 there are other shops that do well with them and everything but if but again by contrast if you compare it to all the other vitolas and all the other sizes and all the other brands it it's it's such a small percentage of sales so um i mean my my personal opinion my cons- my my nerd opinion yeah i would love for more people to make lanceros because i love the size um but i also understand uh, uh, i understand the business angle of it unfortunately mm. my employees like them too that they push me come on bring it in bring the lancero in i go i've done this too many times i'm not going to do it and they, they i'm not the buyer for two guys either which is was something i took away from myself many many years ago because i'm, I'm a cigar geek and i want to take every new thing that comes on and there's only so much room so uh ed santa maria is our buyer and uh he has better control than i end up uh ended up having so uh I, I took that away from myself also. You, you got to know what, what your strong suits are and, and what you're weak at. And uh, I, I can, I, I want everything. So this is it. So is this the same Ed Santa Maria that's part of the three generations that's worked for you of the Santa Maria family? Yes, it is. His mother was my first employee. And when Ed got out of high school, his mother called me and said, uh, Hey, uh, you got a spot for him. And I said, sure. So he worked for me through high through college. And when he graduated college, I said, oh, congratulations. What do you want to do? And he said, I'd like to work at Two Guys Smoke Shop. I said, well, you're already working here. He goes, I'd like to stay. And I said, okay. And um, last year, he celebrated 26 years with us. Um, and and uh, I had a little get together at my house with him and his mother and his son, who had just started working for us. So now his son uh, works for us. That's unbelievable. Now, does, yeah. uh, does his mother still work for you or is she retired now? No, she retired a long time ago. As a matter of fact, when I, when we moved out, Massachusetts store, the man that was buying the store said, um, I'll buy the store as long as she comes with it. And, uh, I said, well, I'm not allowed to do that. That's slavery. And that's, uh, forbidden. Uh, that's up to her. And then I told it a story and said, he wants it. And you live around the corner. If you want to stay with him, by all means, if you don't want to, that's okay too. Um, and she says, no, no, I'll stay with him. And she stayed with him for about three years after I left. She knew all the customers that came in by name. And, uh, you know, that's what he wanted, especially for a little while uh, as he took over the business and said, you know, I want the customer to feel comfortable instead of walking in and it's all new people. So she ended up staying with them until uh, maybe three years or so and then stopped. Well, that was a little bit of everything in our one must go this week. Uh, brought to you yes. by, of course, brought to you by United Cigars, uh, featuring La Giana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron lines. Remember, smoke one today and start living united. Now, obviously, uh, uh, like I said, I've ch- turned off people who are cracking jokes in the chat i've turned off my video and my internet connection isn't up to snuff this week but uh i just lit up uh, a byron uh reserva tres años uh are you still smoking the garofalo dave i'm at i'm at the end so i'm gonna put that down i took the band off and uh i'm ready to light the next one up what do you got now i have an abuelo okay this is uh 
uh, Julio and Husto Aroa. And um, they made this cigar for me for my late brother when um, he was uh, going to have his first grandchild. We made the brand Abuelo for him. And that was about 20 years ago. ago. And we let that brand go. My brother passed away um, 18 years ago, uh, 50 years old, died suddenly at 50 years old. And um, still two guys smoke shop. Unfortunately, he's gone. I miss him so much. Um, and the brand Abuelo, uh, we let then and then later sold off to Davidoff. And um, when I heard that I was going to have a, a grandchild myself, uh, I called him up and I said, uh, can we uh, get Abuelo going again? And, uh, but I want to really work on this and I want to make it different than it was way back then. And uh, with all the um, Corojo, which I love the Corojo cigars, um, he says, I, I'm like, just make me an all Corojo cigar. And he says, uh, we, don't, um, we don't use the Corojo wrapper on anything but our own cigars. And I said, even for me. And he said, even for you. Oh my. So I said, yep. So I said, okay, so let, uh, give me what you can on the Corojo, but, um, uh, send me some samples of different wrappers and different things like that. And it ended up being a Habano. I don't know how well this is going to show up before I light the cigar in there, but you see that swirl of tobacco that's in the center of it. I was going to ask, I just noticed that I really did. I was going to ask you about it. Yeah. Look at all of them that see that we call that a cinnamon swirl. So it's a high priming of Corojo that's put in there in a swirl position like that. And, uh, you know, trying all the different samples as we went along. Uh, and we didn't have a long time to do this. I had nine months. She gets pregnant. The baby's coming. We got to get this together in nine months. That, that, that's the deadline. And um, I, I got one box when the baby was born. I only had one box. And the, the um, inside artwork and stuff like that was just printed on a, on a piece of paper and glued onto it uh, because it just wasn't ready. And we just couldn't put it out for um, looking like that. Although the cigars were made right away and resting uh, for the nine months that went on uh, as soon as we picked the blend out. But um, it took a little while after that. Unfortunately, again, COVID, everything that was going on, uh, it ended up being the, the, the issue with the printer uh, in that case. But um, this, you know, listen, I'm not taking the bow for it. it it's Julio Aroa. And um, I don't know if you heard with Cigar Journal, they just gave him um, the ultimate award of uh, living legend or whatever they called it. The, uh, um, and he is. Um, uh-huh. Their legacy award. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Legacy award. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's a guy that, um, you know, it, it seems like, I don't know, he's, he's almost a forgotten character, which shouldn't be because he's a quiet guy. He never puts him up, himself out front. It's his two sons that are out front all the time. But there's a, um, a tobacco genius right there. Oh, 100 percent. So I wanted to ask you, uh, Dave, since I know they made this cigar for you back in the day, how close is this blend to the any Cubans blend? Did you have oh, to make God. for you? <laughs> no, nothing. Eddie Cuban was probably close to the original Abuelo, but it's not this cigar at all. 
So what you are referring to is, I listen. I, this I is got a winners great and story. I, I want you to tell this again. I love the story. <laughs> I have winners and losers, and and that was a loser. That I, I thought it was so clever that, uh, and it has to happen. Had me to rolling, Dave. Favorite. Had me rolling the first time I heard it. Oh, it was great. So any anybody that worked in a retail shop, this is a little nod to you that. Uh, people come in all the time and, and kind of whispering you and say, hey, you got any Cubans? And this has been going on for 36 years for me. So at the time, probably 25 years, however long it was when I put any Cuban out. But um, I had the crazy idea that I would make a brand called Any Cubans. And when somebody would come in the store and whisper to me, hey, you got any Cubans? I walk them over to Any Cubans and say, yes, I do. And walk them over and say, here they are, any Cubans. And they would laugh and they would buy some cigars. And I got no laughs. Nobody <laughs> thought it was funny except me that they would come over and look at me and say, what the hell is this? And I go, you asked for any Cuban. And here it is. Do you have any Cubans? <laughs> any Cubans? And he'd say, that's not what I mean. And I go, don't you find that amusing? No. And they didn't sell, nor did they find it amusing. The only person that got the laugh was me. And they got the last laugh because they didn't sell at all. So this is a self-explanation of why this didn't make the cut for David versus Goliath, right? Right, <laughs> right. Stop, stop being cute. And, and what's funny to you isn't funny to everybody or whatever. But listen, I, I throw a lot of shit against the wall. Uh, some of it sticks, some of it doesn't. I, I, still, I still love the story, Dave. I, You know what? And... <laughs> You know, it's it's funny about the it's funny about the it's cute statement. I, I still remember, uh, and I know you're not a big sports guy, but um, Colin Cowherd, uh, you know, renowned sportscaster. I don't know if you've heard the name. Um, he's had numerous radio and TV shows over the years and everything. And and I remember it was it was a, it was the time that that Kia, the the the, the automobile, was putting out the those commercials with the hamsters. You remember the commercials with the hamsters? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, and, uh, and he was, he was talking about the Patriots and their success. And he was saying like, he's like, yeah, the Patriots don't get cute. They don't get cute. You know, it's yeah. like they're, they're Mercedes, right? Because here's Kia over here with hamsters and a little spinning wheel and they've got disco music and they've got all this, you know, cute stuff, but Mercedes, what does Mercedes do? They're like, here's my car. It's 80 grand. You know, you want one done yeah, like, yeah, yeah that's right and don't get that's cute awesome. don't get cute that's right. the that's the lesson that's the lesson from uh for david versus goliath here the, don't get cute but uh as much I as it gives control, us a laugh so i can't control myself though but i do like the the crazy stuff that comes out and you know people poo poo it and say you know it's gimmicky and all that stuff if, if it's done good i think it's fun and I end up buying it, buying into it. And some works and some doesn't. This is other people doing it and stuff. But if somebody is a, a creative gimmick, I think it, it's, you know, we got to have some fun too at the same time. And uh, that's what I try to do too. And, uh, you know, firecracker, gimmick. There's no doubt about it. Nub, gimmick. Uh, uh, see, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you there because I, I, yeah. am a, I, re, I, I refer to gimmicks as losers. Gimmicks don't work. The firecracker works. The nub works. Well, yeah, geez. I, I was really shocked at, at uh, what they did with nub. That is unbelievable 
of what what they did with that because I I must have had that for five years before they put it out and um, you know people would laugh and joke at the cigar it sold a little bit but it wasn't what what they ended up doing to it they they legitimized the cigar that size as far as the firecracker goes the wick serves no purpose at all it's it's cut off immediately it's in the way it's not even good for the manufacturer's side of it what do you do with the with the wick do you tuck it in do you tuck it out it falls off actually the first time we did the wick we had the uh the firecrackers um the wick was always on the outside at the beginning of it and the way it was put into the box sometimes the wicks fell off so then we would get those broken wicks and we would call them duds and we would put them in five pack and they were the same exact cigars, but they were the ones the wicks fell off. So they were duds. And we, we had that going on at the same time. Then somebody got smart and said, okay, let's tuck the wick inside. It'll stay on better chance. It stays on. Let's cellophane it. Let's do this. Let's do that. But cert- certainly a gimmick um, fun, but you know, uh, even saying it to the manufacturers, it used to be that I used to have to kind of like beg the manufacturer to, yeah, oh, we're going to do a limited release. We want to do one every year. Now, believe me, they line up. We, everybody, every company wants to make a wick for, wants to make a uh, firecracker as the limited release cigar. And, and believe me, it's not for the, oh, you're going to order a thousand boxes of cigars. It's a pain in the ass for them too. But it, it, it's a, and, and I got to thank the cigar media for it, for you guys um, talking about, about it when it comes out. Um, it does put a spotlight on that manufacturer at that time. And they've all said it helped their brand, which is the, the ideal situation to happen of mm-hmm. let's do something. It'll be a win-win situation across the board. At the end of it, somebody ends up liking the blend of that cigar. And then of course it's sold out. So now they have to go buy it and they can go buy a Robusto. They buy it a Toro or something. It's that blend so much so that you, Later on, saying it was so popular, uh, I'm going to make Tricky Tracker. So right. Tricky Tracker was spun off of um, the success of the Firecracker, and it still exists as a brand itself. Right. I'll t- I'll tell you. I'll give you, I'll give you one that was cute that actually I felt was a really good cigar, and I could tell you guys had fun with it. Was the Irish Car Bomb that y'all did? I I really enjoy I really enjoyed that blend. I, probably the thickest wick that yeah, you guys have done yeah, on a cigar, but yeah, I enjoyed yes. that blend. And the manufacturer who made that uh, is nameless, uh, requested to be named nameless. You're talking about a <laughs> Candela and Maduro barber pole uh, called the Irish Cow Bomb, which uh, um, poor Oliver got a lot of flack on that um, with, um, you know, real car bombs, you know, real Irish car bombs of thinking, you know, we're paying homage to the people that blew up cars in, in uh, Ireland, which of course it was all based on the, on the drink, including the sticker on the front that showed the drink and stuff. But we're in, we got to be more careful uh, in the future because today people get hurt, you know, of things that, you know, obviously non-intentional. And I don't, I don't think anybody can really say, oh, that's what they were really trying to do. Please. 
yeah, if, if you if you dig into anything and say, um, you know, cigars that are in single boxes, we call them coffins. We don't mean it's a coffin, right? It's, right. It's just what it's called. And there's, there's so many things that people are getting butthurt about. I said, just let's be a little more careful uh, in the future. Also that, you know, um, we also found out after that was put out, somebody else had put out an Irish car bomb in a five pack uh, before that we never heard of. And believe me, I, I know the deal. You go on and, and you check uh, for trademarks and all that stuff. You know, we've all had our problems in the past. You shouldn't have that problem twice. It did not exist. And then after the fact, we put it out. We found the person that did it and called and apologized and said, we did not see that anywhere. And we won't do it again. Uh, I say we won't do it again, but there will be a little release, not of that, but of the extra ones that we're making. Um, I'm, I'm, all of us going to yell at me for talking about this, but uh, of all the leftover firecrackers that are put aside, you know, you got to make extras in case people, um, other retailers have a problem with them and say, I got returns or something went wrong. So you end up having some of these things. And um, there was talk of putting some sort of little, a uh, pack of mixed firecrackers, two of this, one of that, you know, of whatever's left and just uh, get them out to the retailers. So maybe Christmas time or something like that, they can have a little gift pack of whatever's left and just get rid of it. Nice little, uh, nice little homage and nice little variety pack. I like it. Yeah. Speaking of homage, um, this is my last question before our charity spotlight, which I'll, and then, uh, We'll have one more question after that that'll actually end our show. I can't believe we're at the end of it now, Dave, but towards the end of it. But, you know, uh, as we were kind of getting ready for tonight's show, um, you know, your your wonderful daughter was able to lend you a hand getting set up for tonight, you know, Gianna. <laughs> and yeah. she's obviously the, the, the namesake for uh, La Gianna Havana. And, uh, and now you've got the abuelo you're smoking uh, in honor yes. of her son, your first grandchild. And... Yeah. Uh, um, you know, you know, and she, I know she's not in the cigar business, but I mean, have you asked her, like, does she have, does it, does it bring her, uh, any kind of joy to kind of see her family, uh, kind of be full, you know, full circle in the cigar business, even though she's not technically a part of it. Yeah. I would love her to be part of it. And I told her, I pushed her growing up, which was probably the mistake. I should have never did that. Um, and um, you know, we do a uh, father and son cigar dinner every year, uh, father and daughter, whatever. I bring a different manufacturer up, talk about events, another great event that I've been doing for probably 15 years of um, the day before Father's Day, that Saturday, we do a cigar dinner and somebody that wants a ticket buys two tickets it's for them and their son or daughter or them for their father. And um the, the whole function is just filled with father and sons or father and daughters. And we bring different manufacturers in with their son. And um, every year is a different manufacturer that's there. And um, it, it's no big selling event or anything. But my dad used to come and visit me. My dad was a cigarette smoker. He wasn't a cigar smoker, but he would visit me in New Hampshire every Sunday and he'd have a cigar with me. And I'd sit and talk with him. And we would have the best talks that we never had elsewhere. And um, one day my father just died. He died in the cigar shop. Um, 
at the counter at the close of, of the day. And he just fell backwards. And my brother at the time was, was with him and said, dad, what happened? And he says, I don't know. I just got dizzy all of a sudden and closed his eyes and died. And aneurysm broke in his stomach and he bled out, never felt the thing, which was great. But, uh, that was it. And I, after that, you know, Sunday would come and my father wasn't there. And, you know, I, I put it together to say to um, the people that you don't know what you got till it's gone. And having a cigar with my dad, I appreciate it, but I didn't appreciate it enough until it was over. And I said, I, I tell that story at, at that event. And I said, hey, you know, have this. You don't know um, what might happen. And, um, you know, just remember that and we'll have this annual thing. And uh, one of our customers comes in, an older guy, and he brings his his um, three sons with him each year and gets four tickets and he goes. And wouldn't you know it one year that his, his son in a motorcycle accident crashes and dies. And um, I didn't know it until after the funeral was over, but comes and sees me after there, gives me a big hug and said, um, Thank God I was going to those cigar dinners. It actually changed our relationship um, by doing that. And uh, I can't thank you enough. Thank God I did that. And uh, I owe you. And I said, you don't owe me anything. Um, I'm so sorry for what happened. And he said, no, no, we had wonderful times after the first dinner. And we not only did it at your dinner, he said, we would do it often after that. But it was actually the first time. So uh, there's a lot lot of stuff that cigars do and um you know i just want to bring attention to things like that and say that to other retailers too i'm operating a father and son dinner in salem new hampshire once a year wherever you are do it do it believe me and you know what that isn't a money-making one at all but it changes the dynamic of it and you're going to get that father may be buying extra cigars so that he has them with his son if you want to look at it monetarily. Um, but just for the, 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 the feel-good sake of, of what it is. And it took me to figure it out with myself. But I say, I don't want somebody else to, to not realize this. So I, I share that with everybody to do it. And to my knowledge, I, I, again, I've been doing it for a long time. I don't hear of another one going on like that. Uh, I promise you, you'll, you'll feel good doing it if you, if you put an event like that together. 100%. I, um, you know, my father's not a cigar smoker either. And, and unfortunately, he's in the twilight of his life too. And it, it's, it, it is those moments. It is those moments that you talk about, yeah. Dave, that are, that are just... There's no other way to describe them other than magical. Um, yeah. And so uh, it's it's wonderful that you do that as a way to kind of give back. And you give back in a lot of ways. And that kind of brings us to what has become my favorite segment of the show, which is where we spotlight a charity each week. And this is something I started on my birthday last year. So we're coming up on the year anniversary of it, which is pretty exciting. Uh, and each week I ask my guests to bring a charity or nonprofit of their choice that they want to spotlight or highlight and bring, uh, bring awareness to. And um, you you jumped at uh, you jumped at the chance when I uh, posed the question to you and you tonight you're bringing forward uh, Ironstone Farm, uh, which is a wonderful organization and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you talk about it uh, because you've got a little spare uh, spare project on the side that will actually benefit this charity as well that uh, I'm really excited to hear about. So this came to me from uh, one of my customers who uh, was the uh, 
vice president of Web, which is a giant company on the on the green monster that you see. Web, uh, they do all um, um, plumbing supplies and air conditioning stuff and everything. Uh, biggest in the country. Um, this man, Ernie um, Kodamash, my customer for probably thirty years, um, retired after fifty years with Web. And um, he immediately, what a good man anyway, he immediately uh, went to charity at that point and said, uh, okay, I'm not going to retire, but I'm not going to get paid anymore. I will uh, um, give to charity. And he lives in Andover, Massachusetts, um, which isn't far from Salem, New Hampshire. And he said, do you ever hear of Ironstone Farm? And I said, yeah, they're in Andover or something. I've driven by it a bunch of times. I've seen the sign. I have no idea what the hell goes on in there. And he says, well, that's what I'm what I'm doing now. He said, would you like to buy a ticket to golf? We're having a golf tournament there or something. I said, I don't golf. I said, but tell me about it. What's going on? And he said, well, it's a horse farm. And um, he says the mantra is healing with horsepower. And he says they heal um, children with special needs. Let's take an autistic child, child, for instance. Some autistic children actually never speak. Um, Ed Santa Maria, who works for me, has an autistic, severely autistic child. Um, he is now, I believe, 13 years old, and he's never spoke. And um, they have taken these autistic children, and they are around the horses, and some of these non-speaking children spend time with the horse. And the next thing you know, they start talking to the horse verbally. And a lot of miracles have happened. Uh, they are um, children that, um, um, you know, uh, problem children and stuff like that. All of a sudden they start mellowing out and they let them work around the horses and walk them and ride them and all kinds of different things happen there. Um, they have added to that, and and my friend Ernie is also uh, a Marine, um, you know, uh, from from way back. And um, when he heard that they started incorporating veterans with PTSD, with um, uh, they get groups of I believe thirty five um, veterans, and they have a house there for them, and thirty five at a time stay there for three weeks. They get to. to um, um, talk with each other along with dealing with the horses and everything that's there. And they said remarkable things have happened to them also. So this healing within animals anyway, I know uh, we used to do a charity that was monkeys actually for disabled people that the monkeys would, um, you know, um, put their food in the microwave for them, feed them, scratch them when they have a itch on their nose all kinds of different things that animals can do. Well, he says, it's remarkable what happens with these horses. And, um, you know, just looking for me to buy a ticket to the, um, to the golf tournament. I said, um, if you get a chance this week, please come by. Let's have a cigar. I want to show you something. And he came by and I said, I'm working on this cookbook. And it's a collaboration cookbook. I thought was just something fun. And uh, the cigar authority would do it. And I said, I'm actually looking for the charity to give it to because I don't want to make money from it. It's a collaboration thing. Business, can you uh, make me a recipe, the ingredients and take a nice photograph of the finished product for me and uh, we'll use it in the cookbook. And um, 
just about everybody said, yes, I would like to do it. We also took the people in, uh, this is Ernie Kodamash here. I'll turn to his page I was looking for him. That's Ernie there. We'll pair your food up with um, the ingredients, a description of it, and how to prepare it and pair it up with the proper cigar uh, that's there. And we have, you know, the biggest name in the industries are in here, Rocky Patel and Perdomo. And, um, you know, I hate, I hate to start naming them all off because I'll leave somebody out, but big names uh, in the cigar industry are here. All the people in the Cigar Authority, the Ashholes, which is our sister podcast that's out there. They all did it. Uh, my mother put her, her limoncello recipe, which she said she was going to die with. She never gave that recipe to anybody. When she heard <laughs> what it was for, she gave it up also. Um, and a few people did that. We have a chef that comes in this store, a regular guy, Chef Charlie. He did his. Um, uh, people that are retired out of the cigar industry um, that I'm still friendly with. I don't know if you remember Cusano Cigars, Mike Cusano. Um, oh, yeah. Completely removed out of the cigar industry. Uh, I told him about this and he said, I'd be honored to be part of it. And um, he sent it out and beautiful photographs and uh, descriptions of the cigar, all paired with different cigars. Uh, it's a 140 page book, all the proceeds. I say all the proceeds, but it'll be more than all the proceeds. Believe me, um, will be donated more than the proceeds of the book will be donated to this charity. And uh, I said, Ernie, will you accept that? We'll be okay. And he said, absolutely. Uh, do I have time to get a cookbook in, uh, a recipe in? And I said, yes, uh, which really there wasn't any time to do that. So I had to stop the presses basically because I wanted to get him in there seeing uh, he donates all his time uh, to Einstone Farms. I said, okay, let's do that. So the book cookbook just came out last week. Uh, it is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that stuff. But again, those are giant places. You can get it on davidgaroffalo.com, where my two books now are. Or you can go to the cigarauthority.com and you see the cookbook there. And they'll, I, I bought 500 books so that I have them in stock and I can just ship them out if somebody orders them. If nobody orders them, that's okay. I bought 500 anyway. I don't care. Um, and it, just another feel-good, nice thing to do. Um, and I appreciate what you do. I, I listen, I've never missed your show, by the way, Bear. Um, I listen to it all. The every one of them. Um, and when you started that, this segment of doing that, uh, I thought it was great. You know, as, uh, I get older, um, it, it becomes, and I have more to give, I become more charitable and I appreciate uh, charitable people more than I ever did before. And I think this is great. I think our industry is very charitable. If you look at the Fuente Foundation, if you look what, what um, um, the Aroas do for Honduras and all the different people, you know, a lot of this stuff, including a lot of stuff I do and a, and a lot of other manufacturers that do stuff, they do it on the, on the hush. You know, they, they're big charity people and they don't want people to know because it's not about that. You know, it's, it's about, because we want to give, that's why we give, but uh, something like this, you know, uh, this gives a, a person a reason to, you know, ah, I don't, I don't want a cookbook, but you know, something, all the money's going there anyway, grab a cookbook. It's, it's pretty funny. There's some funny, uh, funny recipes in there from, uh, 
if, if those that know our show, we used to have a guy, Old Fart Freddy, in there, our old producer, Chuck Morrison, um, uh, the, my old sidekick, Tommy Grelita, was on there. I call all these people up and I said, hey, uh, this is what I'm doing if you want to uh, jump in. And every single person I asked jumped in because they want to do it, because they want to. And they had to put the, they had to not only write it, they had to actually produce the, the recipe themselves to take a picture because I wasn't going to uh, do all these recipes and take the picture of it. And they, and they did that too. So uh, it is a collaboration effort from all of them. And now the collaboration app happens to the cigar community. Uh, if they buy a book, the money will go to the charity. So it's, it's that simple. That's awesome. I went ahead and put the link in the chat. Go ahead and buy this book. I normally just say, if you feel called, to give, uh, please consider donating, but I'm telling everyone, buy this book. Uh, yeah, this is exciting. It, you'll, yeah. You, at $29, you'll have a laugh. And, uh, um, you know, li listen, uh, I, I was saying to myself when the cookbook came out, uh, maybe I'll make every single recipe. That'll be my goal to end up making every single recipe in there. But I, I don't, some of these things I, I don't need to add to this, uh, belly I have in front, <laughs> but, uh, I, I have done a few of them already. That's awesome. And including the infamous uh, Garofalo family limoncello recipe. That, yes. If nothing else, get that. Dave didn't yeah, even see that. My mother's 90 years old. She's, she's 90 years old. She she wasn't giving it up to anybody all this time. And again, when I, when I told her what I was doing, she said, okay, I'll do it. And I said, you sure? Because she was very strong on that for about 50 years that she <laughs> says, I'm never giving it up. And uh, she said, no, for this, I'll do it. And uh, that's what ends up happening. You know, it's just doing the right thing. It feels good to do it. So, uh, you know, what I love about this segment, Dave, and thank you. Uh, the, your kind words were not escaped on me. I'm, I'm humbled by the compliment. Thank you very much. But what I love about this segment is it is it it brings out some really, really fun and unique stories. And, and it, it's out, even, even though this one's cigar related in a way, but outside, it's not at the same time. Ironstone Farm has nothing to do with the cigar industry other than, you know, your affiliation with it in this case. And, and it, it's just, a, it's just incredible stories that, uh, that come about. And I, and I love it, you know, um, you know, I've had some guests that are like, well, I normally just give privately and, and, and I'm like, well, you know, do whatever you're comfortable with. And, and then we end up talking, we end up talking about some wonderful, you know, in some cases, very local, very small charities that mean a lot to these individuals. And, and they're great causes and they do such great work and the money really goes to really goes a long way. And this is no different. So, uh, yeah. yeah and by book. the way, 100% of the money that goes to Ironstone farms and you got to look at charities and stuff. Sometimes it's a small, small percentage when you give to the directly to that charity, you know, maybe it'll say 12% of it really goes because administrative costs and things like that. This is a hundred, one of those hundred percent is everybody's working there for free uh, all for the cause. So all of it goes there. Beautiful. Absolutely wonderful. Well, Dave, we've got one last question on tonight's show and uh, I, I can't wait to have you back. I will have you back because there's so many things we didn't touch on, uh, but this was such a fantastic conversation and a great show. And I'm really, really, really indebted to you for your time this evening. Oh, please. Thank my, my, my pleasure, my honor to be here. Thank you. So our last question of the night is always sponsored by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter. Since the company's inception, Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. Six consecutive years in the consensus top three. Yep, I looked it up. 
And I actually even got fact-checked by my partner on Cigar Coop Primetime Special Edition, Mr. Will Cooper. So, so without further ado, Dave, here is our last question. It is a curveball question. We talked about your very first business where you bought, with no money, a diner. Mm. We just talked about a cookbook that you started as well. And I know that you said you have no desire to get back into the restaurant business. So, again, this is just for fun. So let's say you opened up a diner once again. What would be the signature dish for your diner today in 2021? Well, I have an answer for this. Um, we, uh, me and my daughter talked for a long time. She was going to high school and stuff, and she had to do a thing in school where they all had to open up a restaurant. And she's a big fan of buffalo sauce. And she wanted to do a restaurant and she ended up doing it on paper. But, you know, I said, we should do it if that's what you want to do. But it turns out not what you wanted to do. But everything was buffalo sauce, no matter what it was on, every single item in there. And these are type of restaurants, you know, you, you go to some restaurants and there's a million things on the menu that they, they have Italian food and they have American food and they have, you know, just every single thing. And they typically don't do anything very well because they try to do everything. And that goes for why I am exclusive to cigars, premium cigar shop. That's all we do. That's it. And we can do it the best we can because that's all we do. And here was um, something that was just everything was buffalo sauce. So if you're into buffalo sauce, you'd go to this restaurant and it'd be buffalo chicken and buffalo beef and buffalo. We're talking buffalo sauce, not buffalo the animal, but uh, what a buffalo. And that was the idea of it. And I said, hey, what do you think? And uh, again, not for her, but that was her idea of it. We talked about it many, many times, including every time we have buffalo sauce, usually it, it comes up and says, oh, this could be on the menu. That's awesome. That's yeah, yeah, that's that's a really unique. I love buffalo sauce, too. So that's a really unique, um, really unique restaurant idea. I love it. I love it. I'm just thinking of all the dishes that you could put buffalo sauce on. Mm. It. it excites me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave, at the uh, in the interest of my Internet connection, just dying and everything, I'm still going to turn on the video because I want I want uh, you to see <laughs> yeah. my faces. I thank you so much again for attending tonight and for an amazing conversation um i'm a, I'm a as uh, as you know i'm a big fan of yours uh as not you know as an entrepreneur as a whole as a retailer uh as a brand owner and as a podcaster you know 600 consecutive episodes i'll never get there because uh, i've already ruined yeah. my streak but my god 184 is a big number 184 and and thank you for your service to the industry uh, to, to everybody that does podcasting in any kind of cigar media, spreading good words about the, uh, about the cigar industry, we need it. Another thing I fought for when I was in um, the RTDA and, and IPCPR board that I said how important the cigar media is. I believe it. I'm, I'm a strong, strong supporter and got into it myself. I want to get into every aspect of the cigar industry so I can talk intelligently about it as opposed to somebody who doesn't do it and then says, no, it's no good or whatever it is. They don't understand it. So I can make an intelligent fight when, I, when I'm fighting over this to, to have a, a little piece of all these little things and, and properly understand what goes on. 
Um, I want to invite, as I said to William Cooper before, I say to you and all the people in the cigar media, I'm not big on the Zoom guests or things, but if you ever find your way into Boston area, we're only 30 miles north of Boston, uh, please come up. I would be so honored if you come on the show. Uh, I'd love to have you there face to face and uh, we'll come up with a creative uh, thing to discuss and uh, you know, uh, you're, you're always welcome. It seems like people back on and I feel terrible about it, but I want the guests live and in person. We have a studio audience when we're there and um, they really get a kick out of meeting all the different people. So you, all of you guys are always invited uh, if you ever make your way up uh, our way. It gets hot down there in Texas. Come in the summertime and cool off and spend a day or two up there and uh, hang out with me. Well, Dave, you're on. That, that, okay. uh, I will take you up on the invite and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about arrangements here, uh, here soon because I'm, I'm definitely game for that. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. And anything to get me out of uh, this 94 degrees in this garage. So, um, but uh, I, uh, I am greatly, greatly indebted to you for tonight. Cannot wait to have you back on. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. It was a pleasure for our audience as well. Thanks for hanging in late as you guys always do. This was a tremendous, uh, tremendous conversation again with uh, with the great Dave Garofalo. Thank you so much for tuning in. For everyone out there, I'm Barry Duplissy, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Euless, Texas. This was our 184th take. And guess what, everybody? We're going to see you next time.